Welcome to an all-new, very special, and unique episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers as the Sidecast. This week in part two of our exclusive interview with retired NYPD and Hollywood icon Randy Jurgensen, we get into his career in film and television. We go into great detail about The French Connection and Randy's friendship with director William Freakin and the other movies he was a part of and his new life as an actor, consultant, writer, and producer. We touch on films like The Godfather, The Seven Ups, God Told Me To, Maniac, Sorcerer, Vigilante, Cruising, and Thinner, among many others. It is quite amazing to get such fascinating insight into an industry that was going through a complete renaissance during the time frame of the 1970s. It is also a perspective that you won't find anywhere else, so we hope you enjoy it as much as we did in part two of our exclusive interview with Randy Jurgensen. Um, good morning, Dion. Good morning. How's the coffee? It's good. It's very okay. good. Um, <clears throat> before, we get, uh, before we get started uh, with, um, um, quote-unquote, the, the movie career, which uh, <clears throat> ran parallel to the uh, uh, police career, uh, career, which was winding down. The police career and the movie career was just beginning. Um, <clears throat> uh, as uh, you are aware, uh, that uh, I had the uh, Philip Cardillo case, uh, uh, which he was, uh, you know, killed in the mosque in 1972. And we, uh, we went through two trials. We went through uh, all kinds of investigations. Uh, there were uh, special prosecutors. Uh, um, bodies were set up. The, in, uh, the, the district attorney uh, reinvestigated, uh, reinvestigated the case. Um, and you are <clears throat> making a book in 2006 about the whole tr- Circle of Six, which your book then, is based uh, on. At, yeah. At, uh, <clears throat> in 2006, I wrote what I thought was the comprehensive book and, uh, and what I'm, I'm, I'm proud of uh, uh, in that book is that, and there were a couple of other books and countless uh, magazine articles. Uh, the New York Times really, uh, really went into it, uh, the, the whole case. And <clears throat> it became known as uh, April 14, 1972, as one of the darkest days in the history of the of the uh, police department, and <clears throat> when I wrote wrote the book, again, what I'm proud of is that I I did not I did not go as the other books uh, uh, stated. Uh, they said this. They did that. They removed the police. They messed up the crime scene. No, I I individually named the people, uh, six of them, uh, that were indirectly, directly responsible for us not getting a conviction. And it is most important, uh, obviously, uh, you know, for, let's say, the family, let's say for the police officers, let's say for the district attorney's office, let's put it all under the heading of justice served. It was not in the case of Officer uh, Phil Cardillo, and for reasons I pointed out in the book. Now, we have come, uh, we've come to the point now, after some 43 years and a struggle, not only by me, but countless, countless police officers to get a street named for Phil Cardillo. And that happened this month in October, October the 19th. 2015. 2015. A street was named uh, in front of the 
uh, half a billion dollar uh, new police academy located in College Point. And in his um, announcing this and uh, speaking about the whole thing, <clears throat> the whole thing being uh, the killing of the police officer in the 43 years to get us to that point, um, he stated in there... The, the new um, police commissioner. Uh, Bratton, you know, and literally fell on the sword uh, regarding the past of, of, of what happened to Phil Cardillo, mentioning the police commissioners and the mayors from from the past not doing anything, not even properly, uh, you know, attending the the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the funeral of uh, Patrolman uh, Phil Cardillo. He he was at this time trying to right a wrong. In fact, uh, so many wrongs, forgive the English, were done or. Uh, when it came to uh, uh, Phil Cardillo. And he was trying to uh, write that, and I believe that he did in his, uh, in his speech. And um, in the speech, uh, he named the police officers that were there that day, myself included. And he named what each one of them did and what each one of them are going to be remembered for, and each one of them is a hero. They're a hero just making it, making it out that they literally alive, and I'm not being dramatic. Uh, <clears throat> and when it came to me, he said that, uh, and you know Detective Jurgensen wrote the definitive book, uh, Circle of Six. Well, yes, I did. <clears throat> but all of us, I suppose, when it comes to that, want to be remembered for something. And it's an honor for me to be, even be mentioned in the, in the crowd uh, of, uh, of those police officers that were there that day. And of course, uh, Phil Cardillo died. Uh, however, I would like to, and this is not an ego, I, I would like to uh, also be remembered as the detective that, you know, broke that case. Um, I would like to be remembered as the detective that took Phil Cardillo's handcuffs and placed them on the killer of Phil Cardillo, Louis 17X Dupree. I would like to be uh, remembered for that. Um, and with that, with, with, with that said, uh, I believe uh, the naming of the street uh, is not the end of the Phil Cardillo case. It will probably never end, especially if you're going to name a street outside of the police academy where every new recruit uh, will see that. And those that are on the job... Uh, still go yeah, back there day. for training, so they're going to see it too. And a lot of people still remember what happened. I mean, exactly. That was the whole slogan exactly. you came up with, so, remember Cardello. So they'll never be uh, 
for for me to say, well, the case the, the case is closed. The case is closed, but uh, Phil Cardillo, the memory of what happened that day, uh, that's that that's never go- that's never going to be forgotten. And one of the things that the police commissioner said is that this is taking place, and the adjoining street is uh, 28th Street. Wow. He said that he would he would like to change that to 28 Precinct Street because he because you both he you both were from the 28. Yes. And that's up in Harlem where yeah. it happened. Oh yes. And all of the cops that responded that day, and one of them is no longer with us, but uh, the four of us that uh, we were all from the uh, the 28 Precinct. So with that said. Um, I'm now ready to get into, um, you know, a career that I, I stumbled onto, was brought into, uh, and that was, you know, uh, a, a, and that was a, 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 a movie career. Like, the, like becoming a cop, I never, never thought about that. Um, as you know, uh, when I came home from uh, Korea, there was no uh, there was no job, and there was a very very popular rock and roll uh, song, which I'm <clears throat> very very deeply uh, you know that's my music that that's my music from that time, and it, it was by uh, the, a group called the Silhouettes, and it was called Get a Job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get a job. One day while playing stickball, I'll never forget this, while playing stickball, um, uh, a good friend uh, showed up with some applications for the post office, for the Department of Parks, uh, for the police. I filled them all out, and the police department called, and that's how I became a police officer. Well, wh- um, one day, um, a, a book, a book came out by Robin Moore, and it was called The French Connection. And that book uh, was uh, based on a, uh, a case. Uh, and the book came out, and I'm going to take a, a stab at this. The book came out, I believe, sometime in 1969, 1970. I'm not sure. But that was based on a, uh, based on a narcotic case uh, that involved uh, the main character... Uh, in that, uh, or the main suspect, the main, whatever you want to call him, uh, in 1963, 1964, uh, Patsy Fuca, and uh, <clears throat> and that that case was made by the narcotic unit. I ha- was just leaving the narcotic unit at that time. <clears throat> I had been an undercover officer for about 18, 19 months buying street-level drunk uh, drugs. And I worked with Eddie Egan and uh, Sonny Grasso and a number of other good narcotic detectives back then. So what had happened is that Robin Moore, who had written uh, The Green Berets, prior to writing this book... Which was turned into a John Wayne movie. Which turned into a John Wayne movie... And um, 
he came down, as I say, came down to narcotics because the narcotic unit was located on the very tip end of, uh, of uh, Manhattan. You know, it was a really a, a deep secret uh, unit because there were undercover cops and they were not to be exposed to anybody. Yeah. And I was one of them. So he came down to write in general about uh, the narcotic unit. Well, if anybody who knew Eddie Egan the way that I knew Eddie Egan, Eddie Egan got a hold of uh, Robin Moore, and suddenly Robin Moore was writing the Eddie Egan, <laughs> the Eddie Egan, uh, you know, Story, book. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Eddie the, e that was portrayed by Gene Hackman in the movie exactly. Popeye Doyle. So now the book, the book comes out. I'm up. Uh, I'm working in uh, Harlem Homicide at, at the time. And, uh, this is about 1970, I guess. Uh, 19, yeah. I'm going to say 1969, 1970, and uh, Sonny Grasso is transferred up there, and I'm now working with Sonny Grasso. Uh, my history with Sonny is that um, he's a few years older than me, uh, but we grew up together. Uh, we grew up together in West Harlem, and he grew up, uh, uh, you know, on a on Vinegar Hill, which was predominantly Irish. I was more down from uh, down below that, which is 125th Street. I was born in the house on 123rd Street, and it was uh, heavy Italian at, at the time. And, uh, and that was uh, West Harlem. So I knew Sonny from then. Uh, uh, you're well aware of that I fibbed about my, uh, I fibbed about my age going yeah. into the service, and um, uh, I uh, wound up uh, in Korea, uh, a paratrooper, later a Green Beret, and Sonny Grasso uh, went uh, to, uh, to Korea. Uh, he was a radio man. Oh, okay. uh, he absolutely uh, a radio man. Uh, <clears throat> we came home from the service, and I became a police officer. Sonny Grasso was already a police officer. I was assigned to Spanish Harlem, which is the 25th precinct. Sonny Grasso was already working there in the 25th precinct. So my history with Sonny Grasso starts at a very young uh, age, and it continues on. It's kind uh, of tandem uh, all today, the way, yeah. In tandem all the way. Uh, we were partners for 10 years, nine years working in uh, Harlem. Uh, in Harlem Homicide. Yeah. So <clears throat> the book comes out at that time while we're working together. And he came to me and he said, uh, Randy, let's, you know, sell the book, sell the book. So got a case of the books and all the cops that were, uh, all the cops that were working in the 28th precinct, when they made arrest, the detectives would process the arrest. And I would tell the cops, uh, you know, I'm not processing your arrest unless you buy this book. <laughs> it's just like blackmailing them. <laughs> it was. And, of course, they you, you, bought the book. Yeah, you, you and, moved a lot of books. <laughs> and at this time, yeah. at this time, a number of process arrests that I processed was Philip Cardillo's arrests yeah. and Vito Navarro's arrests. And of course, I'm not going to go into it, but I even knew Phil Cardillo for just a few hours uh, before he became a cop when he came to me that he was going to be a cop to put my name down. We've gone into that. Yeah. So, okay, so we're, we're selling the books. One day, 
Again, Sonny Grasso comes to me and says, they're going to make a movie and it's going to be called, you know, it, it, they're going to make a movie. And at that time, at that time, uh, it was the French being called the French Connection. But that was basically a working title. I have worked on any number of movies where the working title did not become the, the title of when the movie was released. Of course, One yeah. of those was a Roy Scheider movie that I worked on and acted in. And uh, by this time, Roy Scheider was a good friend of mine. Uh, and it was called In the Still of the Night. We worked on that picture for eight months. And working on that picture, it was called Stab. Yeah. And of course, it was released. In, so the working title was The French Connection. Being bantied about were other names like Popeye. And that was a nickname that Eddie Egan had gotten while he was on the job. Now, why did they call him Popeye? Uh, they called See, him there's a lot of dispute people don't really know why. Oh, they called him Popeye because, because at the end of work, and I was working with, them at, uh, working with him at the time, at the end of the tour, I, I, I don't care if it was 5 o'clock in the afternoon or 11 o'clock at night, come on, Randy, we're going to hit a certain amount of these bars. At the strip, wherever. Yeah, oh, I, I, they were on Wall Street, they were on the east side, and and, and he got the nickname, we're popeye in around. Oh. We're going to pop into this bar, we're going to pop into that bar, we're going to pop into the other bar. And of course, it was always about yeah, yeah, yeah. It was always about the ladies, yeah, you know? Yeah, some ladies, yeah. Some yes. tail. <laughs> so he got the nickname uh, Popeye. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> another quick story about Eddie. At one time, he was nicknamed Bullets. Bullets Egan. That sounds like a gangster name. Okay. You know, like, you know, you're gonna... All right. So, Dion, he gets that name because we ha you have to go to the range. I don't care how long you are on the job. You go to uh, you go to the range in Rod Rodman's Neck, uh, located uh, by, uh, by City Island up there, and you have to uh, qualify with the gun. You have to qualify. You have to shoot at targets, go through the course and stuff like that. Well, we went as a group. Yeah. And we would leave as a group because you know we only took two cars. Whatever it was, we went as a group. We left as a group. Every single time. Eddie Egan could not qualify. He couldn't hit the target. He couldn't hit the target. <laughs> we used to tell him, Eddie, throw the goddamn gun at the target. <laughs> we got to get out of here. Come on, we want to leave. We're going to go to the Yankee game, Whatever, we, wherever we were going. And so, <clears throat> and after a while, he shot up all his bullets. They gave him bullets. And hence the name and Bullets. there came the name Bullets Egan. So on, on one time, and I'll remember this, I'll always remember this, um, Dick Orletta, Detective Dick Orletta, damn good narcotic detective, um, he went to the instructor and he says, um, while, while, while Egan is shooting at his target, can I just shoot at the other, uh, the other target, squeeze off a few, and the instructor said yes. Well, of course, Dick shot at Eddie's uh, target, and got him to qualify. And got him to qualify, and we left. But that's how he got the name Bullets. And, and Sonny's nickname was Cloudy, because no matter what, the glass was never half full. With Sonny, it was always half empty. 
It was never partly sunny. It was always partly cloudy. So his name became Cloudy. My name, uh, undercover at that time, my name was Tash because I had a mustache and they cut it down from mustache to ta get Tash. He can make the buy. A pretty sweet mustache too, he had. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now what happens, Dion, to get back to, uh, to get back to that we're going to make a movie. And so uh, the ever first time, ever first time, that I would be on a, um, and it wasn't a movie set. It was just total loose rehearsal. I would, I would, I would learn that. Uh, and what my job was, what my, after meeting the people involved here, and one of the people that I met, and he's turned out to be a lifelong friend. As we sit here, I'm expecting a call from him. Is Billy Freakin? Yeah, wow. And I would go on to work five or six p uh, pictures with Billy Freakin. Uh, one of them traveling halfway around the world. Yeah, well, the we'll sorcerer. Get to the sorcerer. Yeah. Okay. Favorite so, of mine. <laughs> so I met Billy Freakin. Uh, I think he was about maybe 31 years of age uh, at the time. Basically the same age as the same age as me, uh, cocky, bright, um, knew what he was doing, uh, even if I didn't agree with it. He'd already done uh, Boys in the Band. And he, exactly, yeah. so exactly. He was already, I knew nothing of yeah. that. I knew nothing of that. And then I met uh, Phil D'Antoni, uh, producer, the producer uh, who had produced Bullet uh, a couple who years before. Bullet in '68. He produced Bullet, you're exactly right, with Steve McQueen. And um, I would meet uh, Bill Hickman, who did the driving mm. in Bullet. God bless and Bill was Hickman. also the killer in Bullet. Yeah. And would do the driving in the French Connection. Yeah, he drove the Charger in Bullet. And then he went on to drive the, the, the other car in the 7-Ups. He, he was the killer with the longer hair in the 7-Ups, which is another movie we'll get to with Scheider. Exactly. So he and he's also yeah he turns to be the the okay. FBI agent and, in the French and, Connection. And so uh, Bill Hickman is no longer with us, and his lovely wife uh, <clears throat> Nancy. Every every time I'm going to uh, do uh, something, uh, whether it's in the movies or, or or whatever it is, I call and I ask permission from her and so forth and. It's always been Randy. Yes, of course. Go. Why? Go. Why would you do that? Well, because um, I've I, I've done articles uh, regarding uh, regarding Bill Hickman and myself driving in the French Connection. You know, driving in. Uh, you know, driving in. Um, seven ups. Seven ups. Yes, uh, and so and she says uh, absolutely yes. So, so now. I go over, and I'll never forget it, it's 126th Street, and it's uh, on the East River, or right right on the river. In fact, it's a, it's a Department of Sanitation uh, storage area, and there are mounds of rock salt there. And I go over there, and I'm introduced to these, I'm introduced to these people, and I'm very, very steeped uh, um, being uh, uh, a New York City detective that you're not going to get anything out of me and I'm going to get everything out of you. And, and that's the way that it works. I hold all the cards. And of course, you know what I'm dealing with out in the street. Yeah. So when I get there, 
and immediately it's um, do you do it this way do you do it that way do you do the other thing and so forth and so on and I'm I'm looking at Sonny you know and uh, uh, now in the narcotics how do you how, and there's all these kinds of questions all these kinds of questions and I'm very very reluctant to release this information so Sonny takes me aside and says look you know, we're not talking about the real thing here. This is going to be a movie and it's going to be this and that and everything else. And, you know, and you, Randy, I mean, you know, they know all about you and blah, blah, blah. So there has to be this, you know, like this kind of cooperation, so forth and so on. Now, were you assigned to them or they were just more like they made overtures and then you were just, uh, yeah, no. I'll do it. Sonny asked me to go over there yeah. and I met these people. And then that was Freakin and, and Hickman and, yeah. I didn't meet Hickman there. And so, okay, so I'm talking, and this is how, uh, well, how do you toss somebody, okay, and you put them up against the wall, and wh and whoever I was doing, Billy kept saying, no, no, do it to me, D do it to me. Yeah. And I would learn that Billy freaking, it, it, it was real with Billy freaking. Yeah. It had to be. And I would, I would go on uh, breaking down doors with Billy freaking right behind me and making uh, and and making uh, and making narcotic collars, you know, in in what we termed at that point back then shooting galleries. And that would be when you uh, a place where that addicts would, would go and they shoot up, and that exactly would, place that would be termed was a shooting that gallery. was later on. You yeah, know, that was later on. So now <clears throat> you do that. For, of can course, you can you come? Can you come the next day? Yeah, and of course I did, and that was it. I was next day, next day, next day, yeah. next day. Yeah. So, what, what, what I will tell you now is that I went the next day, and don't forget, we're in its infancy of doing this movie. I don't even think that the script was entirely finished. I mean, they they were writing as we went along. How were they writing as we went along? Well, as we went along and, um, you know, I, I showed him a toss, I showed him this, and I'm, I'm getting ahead a little bit, but breaking down the doors and going into the shooting galleries, they, they would go back that evening and they would write that scene. Yeah. So it was being written as we went along. But one of the days that I went over there, and it was always over there, I began to call it the, you know, the salt factory where, where we went over there. There was Jimmy Breslin. Wow. And Jimmy Breslin. The actor, yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Breslin. I don't know, you know, about so he was casting. Cast, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know about contracts. I, I don't know about that. Then I didn't know about it. But I will tell you but they were entertaining that him Jimmy, Bre Jimmy Breslin, Jimmy Breslin was there. And I threw Jimmy Breslin up against the car and began to uh, toss him for narcotics. And my dialogue was, you know, if I get stuck, you're going to get hurt. If I get stuck, you're going to get hurt. Now, of course, they didn't know what that, uh, what, what, what that was, just to show you. But any addict that was out in the street, when I did that, they knew what they, that yeah, they was. Knew the lingo, they yeah. knew that if they had a needle in their pocket and I was going to get stuck and so forth. And <clears throat> remember, this was all before AIDS. Yeah, of course. Uh, but <clears throat> what what was big uh, big back then uh, was um, hepatitis, and there were strains of uh, of that that were uh, 
you know, very, very, uh, very sick. And that was communicable yes, by a needle. And yes, I, I wound up in the hospital way later on uh, in, in my career uh, getting stuck. Oh. And it was an accidental uh, stuck. But in, in any case, so, so Breslin then I, was would, I would then is... stop and say, this is what this means. The addict is going to know, uh, these people in the street know. And I pointed out and I said, Go, go look at any one of those. Go look at any one of those people in, in in the street. And basically, I put my foot in at that time because Billy said, "Okay, <laughs> let, let's go and do it." And that, Dion, would lead to my my doing this. Uh, did Sonny and Eddie? Did Sonny and Eddie do this? Uh, there were certain there were certain ones that 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 they did do, and I'll explain those to you. But the ones where we would hit the shooting gallery, and there was a possibility that there may be a gun in there, or so or freaking wanted to freaking wanted to experience the realism. So By he'd, he'd ask me to take him along. Of making the French connection, yeah. Billy freaking could have been a narcotic detective, not only out in the street, but all of the fingerprinting, the paperwork, going down for the arraignment. See, Billy freaking accompanied me on every one of those, not every one of those arrests. He only had to do that once or twice. Not the the, uh, paperwork end of it once or twice. Okay, so now, so now, of course, I go down in the street and you know, and I, 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 I said, look, I can't take this whole entourage. I mean, you know, I mean, we're we're working in Harlem here, and 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 you guys are Wonder Bread, yeah. and you know, <laughs> again, what do you mean Wonder Bread? You know, it it it's to speak that you speak when you're in a certain area, and those people in that area they understand that. Yeah, because Harlem was prominently black at the time, and you can't have twenty white guys who come, you know, come in and you you stick out like a sore thumb. So I explained to them what that was, and that you know that that's not racist. We weren't you. I wasn't you you, using words. You know that. Okay, so I go with Billy. I go with Billy alone, and I said, uh, "This, you know, I was very, very nervous, very, very nervous." Look. I'm not working. Yeah. I'm not working while I'm doing this. And here I got the, you know. God forbid something will happen. And I just kept saying, you know, Bill, I mean, you know, we're, we're going to do this. A crowd's going to gather and stuff like that. And it's a fault of, he wants to take, he wants to take pictures. And I said, okay. So I went as fast. I never I took my car. I went as fast as I did. I got out. I got out of the car. There was a drug addict there. I said, "Get up against the wall." Yeah, you know me. Get against the wall. Get up against the wall. And it was, oh man, shit! I I didn't do anything here. And the guy got up against the wall. And I turned to Billy and I said, "And now I would toss him. And if I found something <laughs> on him, it would be an arrest." All right? So it's almost like and, a tutorial. Yeah, and I ran back into the car. And the guy, the last I saw that guy, still he was it. still standing against the wall. Yeah. And that was my role in the making of the French Connection uh, movie. Of course, it would escalate. It would escalate up into 
uh, arrests made by shooting galleries. So they, they they ended up not using Jimmy Breslin. Did they tr- think uh, of anybody I, else? I never saw Jimmy. I never saw Jimmy Breslin again. Much later on, and I mean years later on, I found out. Uh, you know, from from not from rumor, but from source that Robert Mitchum was uh, really uh, uh, considered. As Popeye Doyle. As Popeye Doyle. Yeah. In, in the very beginning, uh, Eddie Egan uh, kept saying uh, that he wanted Rod Taylor to play him. From the birds. From the birds. Right, right. So I don't remember in what order uh, that I met uh, uh, Gene Hackman, Roy Scheider, and Tony, and Tony Lobianco. However... <clears throat> We're making this movie in 1970. The biggest name, the biggest name out of those three at that time, or let's say the, the, the most well-known of, of them at that time was Tony Lobianco. And Tony Lobianco was coming off of a movie called The Honeymoon Killers. Yeah. And so Tony Lobianco... Uh, uh, I believe that Gene Hackman, and I, I saw this movie, was coming o- off of a movie called I Never Sang for My Father. And I think he had a handlebar mustache and that and everything like that. And so that's when I formed my opinion that these people that were making this movie that were going to have Gene Hackman portray Eddie Egan, they didn't know what they were doing. Now, why is I, that now? Why is that? Yeah. You know... You look at you look at Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, and I never sang for my father, and he's going to uh, play uh, a pretty hard-boiled New York City detective. You got to be kidding me! Did you, you run know? into problems with him? Uh, uh, you know, working with him. I but I, so I, I formed the opinion immediately they didn't know uh, what they were doing, and, and of course, uh, oh, and of course then. Uh, you know, the way a movie is made, I'll get into that a little later, the way a movie is made, uh, when I explain all this about The French Connection, I won't have to explain it in all of the other movies that I've been involved in, Sorcerer and so forth. So, and the way the movie is made, you know, it's shot out of sequence and, uh, you know, turn the camera around now, we'll get it over here. and And I said, this absolutely makes no sense at all. I mean, you know, I yeah. thought, you know, okay, you know, I'm, I'm now being paid, so, you know, okay. <clears throat> but in taking Gene Hackman and Roy Scheider uh, and, and, and taking them out and going into, and I never did go individually in the street because there was no way that I could really, you know... Um, Cover my partners, and 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 look out for these guys uh, uh, at the same time, and and not every one of these arrests went down one two three. Yeah. They did not. So, <clears throat> uh, I now uh, we're now going to take uh, Gene Hackman, and uh, and Billy Freakin. Uh, Billy Freakin wants uh, you know Gene Hackman right uh, up front in the group. And uh, by now, I am calling some shots when it comes to this. And Sonny agreed. Uh, I said, okay, we'll go through the door. I'll secure the area. 
but and it'll only take me, you know, blah 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 amount of time, you know, and then you guys can all come in there. Well, Billy came every time, and there was no stopping him. So I I I, I took uh, Gene Hackman and uh, Roy Scheider, and I was going to make them make the arrest, make the arrest in the shooting gallery, because they had seen it. And I, you know, don't be worried. You're there. Little did I know, Billy Freakin is coming, and Eddie Egan gave Billy Freakin his gun. <laughs> Boom, in we go. And Roy, Roy is up against the wall. Get over there, drive, drive, drop to the ground. And Gene Hackman is not staring into space, but this is not Gene Hackman's cup of tea. Yeah. And it wouldn't be throughout the whole movie. It would, it would just not be. Does this take from his acting? Does this, does this, this, this does not take from his convictions. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and Gene Hackman believes that this is not a crime, but believes that this is a social, a social issue. And I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm, I'm really not. That's not your place. You're there to... Now. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, we did that, and we and we brought uh, Gene Hackman in, and now I'm redoing for Gene and Roy what I did, let's say, a half a minute before I told them to come in. Get up against the wall, but I'm gonna do, drop that gun. Look at the ceiling. Go down. You know what I am doing is controlling the situation. I'm controlling what is in front of me right there. They're, they're not walking any way that they want. They're going how I want, you know? And there were times, and the statute of limitations has run out on this, there were times that I didn't think that, I, this is 30 people. This, th these are desperate addicts. Uh, and uh, there were times there that I was not controlling the situation and I would simply, my gun was out, I would just simply let one go into the ceiling and I got everybody's attention doing that. Now, I never did you're that. In a, you're in a, a slum building anyway. Oh, yeah, an abandoned. Yeah, an abandoned, an abandoned yeah, building, yeah. yeah. And I never, I never, uh, I never let, um, I never did that. But I told them that I would do that. So we do that. <clears throat> we get, we get the what we call the paddy wagon in those days, and um, and this was simply amazing to the people that were on site. I would be selective in who I was now going to who I was now going to arrest. Um, I refused. To take women, I, I didn't want to take the uh, I, I didn't want to take the women. It was a whole other uh, problem. I mean, uh, these people within an hour, two hours, and you know, and believe me, believe me, I felt sorry for them. I, yeah. I felt sorry for these people because <clears throat> they were literally like Walking Dead. I'm arresting these people on Tuesday. And I tell you, by Friday or Saturday, I'm going to find some of them dead of an overdose. So, you know, a hot shot, a bad one. So I, I, in, in that world w w which I operated in, I, I 
No, get in. You, you. I basically really took the young ones. You know, uh, the, 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 the older ones, I, I didn't. So if there were 30, I would be coming out of there with 20. Yeah. I'd be coming out. If there were 20, I'd be coming out of there with 15. You would see some of them in there that were so sick. Uh, I'm telling you something on the record that is off the record. Uh, <clears throat> this didn't happen while making the French Connection. But uh, get in there. And one time, one of my members uh, came to me and he said, there's a woman in the bathroom. She's in bad shape. She's in bad shape. And I opened up the door in the bad shape and she said to me, please, please, please. In other words, she wanted to finish what she was doing. She was I, shooting up. I, 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 slammed, I, slammed the, I, I slammed the door and we never spoke about it again. And I just, I, I just kept, I just, I just took out you know, what I was going to take out. Yeah. And remember, <clears throat> a lot of these people were wanted. Now, we get into the station house. We get into the station house. I'm telling you, Roy Scheider is active. Tony Lobianco, by the way, wasn't with us. Yeah. Uh, Roy Scheider is very, very active. How we fingerprinted, how we did this. And, you know, <clears throat> you want to try it? You want to do Yep, you know, do it, so forth and so on. And we, we, we did all of that. Standing in the corner was Gene Hackman. Standing in there. I personally had a conversation with Gene Hackman. What happens next? I said, well, <clears throat> they're all processed. Uh, they're fingerprints. I'll get a cop uh, that will make a run. Don't forget... This is, this, is 19, this is 1970. It's not, it's not what, you know, you're used to seeing on CSI and all of these other yeah. shows. Uh, so he makes a run with the fingerprints and he goes down there with the fingerprints. As uh, But that we did first and then we would con uh, continue the process. To uh, what? To see if any of them were wanted or whatever? Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So he had to physically then, bring them down there. And then, so yeah. uh, and then I said, and then we bring them down there and then... Uh, you know, we arraigned them, and he said, uh, uh, do, uh, do they get fed? Do they get this? I said, not here. And I said, there, there's a number, there's a couple of reasons why we don't do this. And I said, even to give them coffee, even to give them whatever it is, first of all, you know, if we did that, we would be broke, and it's not being inhumane. And what usually happens is that they get sick. And they get sick all over each other, and they, you know, and so we try to rush this process as, as, as quick as possible. We have taken some that are so bad, we call the bus, which is the ambulance. Yeah. We take them over, and what they do in what they do in the hospital, where they give them a shot, whatever they do to make it through the night, and we bring it back. And he says, and then what happens to them? I said, basically, they're cut free. I mean, it's 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 not exactly the the most legal uh, arrest in the in the world. I mean, you know, none of them uh, none of them go in there and plead not guilty and want to go to trial and all this and everything like that. And Gene Hackman was he was just against this whole thing. He was against the whole process. He was not against us, but he was against this whole process. And Gene, um, in his mind, um, 
in his, uh, not in his acting, just to show you uh, what a good actor he is, but uh, Gene was just, just against this whole. I, I don't I don't know what you want to call it the system I, I I don't know what you want to call it yeah he was not a bleeding heart that's not what I'm po- portraying here guy was a marine yeah guy was an ex marine so uh, but uh, Roy Scheider he understood it um, the president of the United States would declare war on drugs this is the president of the United States and uh you know. I certainly, along with thousands of other cops uh, across the country, I was a soldier, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, in this war. I do. think that Gene Hackman would have been a conscientious objective. I think he, he, he you know, yeah. he would have. Okay, so, so I hope I've explained that right, but to show you the talent of this man, you would never see it on the screen. Yeah, and and of course you know he was re- rewarded with an, a, a, an Academy Award. I mean, doing something that is um, I I don't know how to say this that he was uh, totally uh, not against, but totally you know. Can we find a better way to do this? Uh, 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 he would use the word humane and things along the lines like that. But yet when it came down to doing his job as I was doing my job, I mean, he did it. Yeah. He he, he did it. Um, so how was it working with Freakin then? So <clears throat> when they when they learned that um, I, had, I, I had done some driving, yeah, I was going to... I was going to do some uh, driving and, t- and mainly to do a lot of ride-along uh, in the cars uh, for the one and simple reason that we were going to steal the shots in the, in, in the chase. Steal. <clears throat> um, that means that there would be no adhering to the rules of doing a chase, the rules that would come out of the uh, film commission's uh, office, uh, which was the mayor's, uh, that if you were going to do this, this is what you had to do. You couldn't do it at this time. Uh, you'd have to have protection here. You, you, you couldn't exceed going over, let me make this up, 30 miles an hour, there were so many rules that there was no way you were going to be able to put on the screen the uh, the uh, put put in the camera and put it on the screen the chase that you see that wound up in the French Connection. There was no way we were going to do that. So it was very early on we were going to steal this. And one of the ways to steal this was to have a detective or a cop ride along in the car so that if the car got pulled over by the police, that detective or that police officer could say, I'm on the job, 
uh, you know, I'm a cop and everything, and the radio car would understand and... You let them go, yeah. Let them go. Yeah. So that's how I was going to be used in this chase. But also, I did some driving in this chase. I drove what they call the master. That means from start to the end. Uh, <clears throat> and it was done in the following manner. Billy Freakin would not put the cameraman in there, and this is in his book. Uh, Billy Freakin would not put the cameraman in there because he was afraid that the, uh, you know, if something happened, I mean, the other guy's a stunt driver, uh, and, and so the, Billy put himself. And so he on the, the first yeah. run, on the on the first on the first run that we had, we had a, a camera mounted on the front of the car yeah. on the bumper to get like the point of view of the car. Okay. Yeah. Then we had the camera. Billy was propped up in the in the second in the second seat, and uh, you had Hickman driving, and you had uh, myself, and at one point I was just wrapped in a mattress. No, you know, no, I was wrapped just in a mattress, and I had what they call the kill switch for the camera in the front of of the car. So that when at the end of the run, whenever it was, you know, he, he calls I, I would cut. pull it. You can you can pull it. And I it, would, it would shut the camera off. Yeah. So we did that, and on the on the on that run on on that run. Now I think I got myself out of sequence because I drove the first one. So uh, on 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 the first one we went, and I I I I just went. And uh, I came, I came to the uh, basically like like the end of, of of the run. Billy was pleased, and <clears throat> so now we're going to do the second one. And the second one, Hickman is going to drive. That's where I'm now wrapped in the mat in the mattress. And before we get into the car, Bill Hickman is smoking a cigarette, and. Billy gets in the car and he says, up to now, he says, we have shit. We don't have it. I, 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 I looked at Bullet. I looked at Bullet. I mean, I, come on. You got to deliver it here. You got to deliver it here. So now, let me just take a moment and digress here when I say they looked at Bullet. When Phil D'Antoni... And Billy Freakin decided to do this chase, and they did. One of the things that they discussed first was they were not going to have, and remember, Phil was the producer of Bullet, they were not going to have the streets barren. Yeah. The streets were not going to be empty of people. Well, they want to almost one-up up until that time. Bullet was the best thing anyone had ever seen. Absolutely so was. How do, you today, one up, how do you one-up? And today. Yeah, it still today, holds up. It yeah. still holds up. So, yeah, how do you how do you one it up? You, okay. you have a, tr a car literally right. chase a train, you know? Right. And so they did, and they also didn't want the same car that Steve McQueen 
uh, drove. Yeah, you a know? Mustang, yeah, or a Charger, yeah. This is how this was so well discussed. Steve McQueen was Mr. Cool. Yeah. And so the car he was going to drive was Mr. Cool. Yeah. Gene Hackman, Gene Hackman, you know, was Eddie Egan. I mean, uh, no more would you see the character of Gene Hackman in a sports car than the, than the man in the moon, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Pontiac, I believe it was the Pontiac they, they decided yeah, on Yes, sedan. Okay. <clears throat> so they want the streets the first populated, day, yeah. The first day, Gene Hackman got into this Pontiac that had 37 miles. And there was, uh, uh, Gene was gonna drive it. And when Gene, when Gene was driving it, there was a guy pulling out, I don't have to go into too much detail, there was a guy pulling out and Gene swerved to miss the guy pulling out and Gene hit the pole, the, 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 rare, the, the, the railroad pole. The, yeah, the pole. The, for the yeah. subway support. It, it was, the car had 37 miles on it. Now, he totals the you car. can't start out with the car being bruised and damaged. Yeah. And my brother, as a precaution, my brother took Gene to the emergency room. That's funny. My sister uh, babysat Gene's uh, uh, children through, through this. So my family was very involved in the, in the making connection. of the French Connection. Uh, uh, my other my other sister appears in the subway scene not once not twice three times that's funny she's in there on the subway on the subway in fact when the last time that they were doing it Billy Freakin says uh, in that subway scene uh, Billy Freakin says action Judy (laughs) (laughs) so okay so now so so now we're going to get to do the chase and they discussed that, you know, can we chase something else? Now, I'm not privy to this conversation. Uh, can we chase something else? If they were walking at, uh, under a subway or whatever it was, and they decided that they would, it, it would be a, a, a subway. I mean, talk about, you know, filmmaking, talk, uh, talking about a vision, talking about, I mean, who in the world could ever, you know, they mm. did. They thought this up. So <clears throat> we're going to use the we're going to use the train. So we're we're going to do the chase first before like getting up on the train. So <clears throat> this is how it comes about that we're going to have people in the street. We're not going to be protected at all. We're just going to run free and we're going to steal this shot. Yeah. And that's how that came about. So now when it's Billy Freak, uh, when it's uh, Bill Hickman's turn to drive, and he's telling Bill Hickman that we're going to do better than Bullet, and you're going to drive better than you drove in Bullet, and we're going to get this here, and you can do it. You can really do this. While he's telling him that, Bill Hickman is so psyched up that Bill Hickman lights a second cigarette while he's got the first cigarette in the ashtray <laughs> lit. And at that point, I knew I was in trouble. <laughs> I personally was in trouble. And we get in the car, and off we go to do this uh, chase. 
And one of the first things that Hickman does is that he careens off a city bus. He absolutely careens off a city bus. And we keep going, going, going. And of course, at this point, the, the baby carriage scene is not in. Yeah. This is the master. And, and we drive and we go all the way to the end. And we were doing 60, 65. Uh, Billy taught me something. Um, and I use this. When Billy was writing his book, uh, one was Yahoo Billy, uh, the other one was the freaking connection, uh, he said that we were doing 90 miles an hour. And in fact, there's a whole newspaper article on how to do this uh, that, it, that goes into the Blu-ray, and we were doing 90 miles an hour. And I've learned not to correct Billy. I don't, but I, I say, gee, Billy... Uh, <clears throat> I, I I think that, uh, you know, I remember us doing 60 or 65. And Billy said, but I'm writing this book and this is how I remember it. Yeah. So I have learned that when I tell these stories, this is how I remember it. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, even if it's not right, this is the, this is how I remember it. So <clears throat> we get to the end and we turn around and it's like, it's done. You know, we got it. I know we got it. And Billy says, let's go back the same way. And I hear Billy's camera. And it's, you know, it can't be a foot from my ear. And Bill Heckman revs up the car again. And here we're going back. And we're going back and we're doing basically the same thing. He's on the horn. He's going there. I'm telling you. And, you know, I had to get out of the car and start the camera again because I had used the kill switch and now I don't have the blanket. Yeah. And here we're going back and I hear Billy's camera and I don't know, a third of the way back, halfway back, Billy's camera runs out of film. And I, I've learned enough by now and I say, we're out, we're out. And I hear Billy's camera going, <laughs> you know, we're out. And Billy keeps saying, go, keep, go, go, go. And we get back and we screech to the very end in there. People are applauding. They're screaming and they're shouting and blah, blah, blah. And I just said to, I just said to myself, you know, they're crazy. <laughs> they, they, these, people, these people are crazy. I never even took that kind of a risk basically doing, a the, real thing. doing the real thing. So <clears throat> that's how the French Connection chase was done and, and of course we have the inserts of where we yeah. we hit the wall and, uh, and of how the we did of how we did the girly okay uh, before we move on to, uh, what's the story with the uh with the poster now at this point you know you uh, you told me you had two uh notorious clashes with him over on uh, the picture before well, we wrap up talking about my uh yeah uh yeah the clashes that the clashes that I, I would, I would just say it was a different, uh, it was a difference of opinion, and uh, and I, I was, uh, I was going from from a point of being, uh, being a cop, and uh, Billy Freakin uh, was uh, was going uh, from a point of uh, you know being the director. Uh, yeah. uh, w you know, with a vision, uh, knowing how that this, any one of these things were going to turn out or, you know, Billy Freakin obviously 
obviously was right. Uh, I was I was not wrong, but I was I was dealing I was dealing from a point of being a cop, and I'll explain to you the, what, what happened uh, from being a cop. And Billy Freakin was uh, uh, be, uh, dealing from a point of entertainment. Yeah, being a filmmaker, you can a see how it'll turn out. Yeah. Exactly, the clash. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so <clears throat> this comes about. Uh, this, right, it's right after the scene. It's right after the oh, car. It's after the this, car. Co this comes about that uh, I was standing at, uh, I think it was under Dunk Avenue or whatever it was. I was by myself, uh, talking to the crew and stuff like that. Stuntman. And I'm in the East Coast Stuntmen's Association. And uh, I, I wound up driving in Koja. I, in any case, so... I said, uh, we're standing there and we're, uh, and we're looking at that. And of course, it, people are just talking about this chase. I mean, the, the mayor's office came out. and uh, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> So I see this rehearsal. And what are they rehearsing? And what they're rehearsing is the uh, Frenchman, uh, the Frenchman um, who commandeered the train, who has... Uh, you know, yeah, he got the, off the, at the, the end of the, the chase. Crash, the end of the chase. The, yeah, the, Hackman's the, running the, after him. The, yeah, and uh, he's on the train, and Hackman's underneath the train, and so I see him, and he comes to the top of the steps, and he comes to the top of the steps like that, and it's the Frenchman, and he comes to the top of the steps, and at some point, Alex Stevenson, the president of the East Coast Stuntmen's Association, said, "Oh, I got to go to work." And um, he's at the top of the stairs. So the Frenchman is there, and Gene comes over, and all this is being done, and it's all, it's all being rehearsed, but it's being rehearsed for the camera. Yeah. So it's taking time. Oh, the camera should be here. Well, you know, and this is the rehearsal. And then, okay, and Billy says, okay, action, let's have one. And there it, it all goes, it all goes, right? And the Frenchman steps, steps away, and here comes the stuntman, and bang, and, and you know, Hackman and the stuntman, and he puts yeah, his arms and up. And the stuntman, the, the stuntman uh, puts his arms up, you know, just as he's been instructed to do, and he comes down the stairs. These are hard the stairs. Yeah, yeah. And he's shot in the back, and down the stairs it comes. And I see this. And okay, and there's much discussion. You know, Billy's making a picture, and he's the cameraman, the actor, the stuntman, and this and that. And I go over there, and I'm in the middle of this, and I can't believe I said this. I said, I, I said, you, you, you can't do that. And he says, can't do what? And then I don't remember so much of the dialogue, but this is how I remember it. I said, Billy, I said, you know, you're having Gene, you're having Eddie Egan shoot this guy in the back, and the guy doesn't even have a gun. I said, That's murder. And, and, Billy, <laughs> and Billy says to me, and Billy says, I'm having Gene Hackman. And I said, But it's it's really Eddie Egan. I said, It's murder. I said, you know, you, you have Eddie Egan committing murder, and Billy is saying it's Gene Hackman. And I said, well, Gene Hackman's playing Eddie Egan. And he said, yes. And 
Gene Hackman playing Eddie Egan is going to do this. And I said, but it's murder. He said, don't worry, it'll work out. It'll all be work out. And I mean that conversation went on. And there was a circle of people, which was my bad. Instead of pulling Billy to the side, all these people saw it, you know? And I oh, must, you were concerned because it I looks like you're like shooting a cop shooting some, in the back. I must have looked like some ass, yeah. you know? So I came over, and I always remember saying to the other guys, holy Christ, that, I mean, you know, like, I even went to the point and say that, you know, Eddie's not going to care. He said, but, uh, 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 you know, and sure enough, that's how the scene goes in the can. And there was a, uh, another, yeah. like, uh, so... That's how that's how it, it, it goes in the can. So once again, when I tell this, it's fast forward, twelve hundred people at you know a screening invited to a uh, to a screening. I'm standing in the back with Sonny Grasso, and Billy is getting ready to you know at the conclusion of the movie. Billy is going uh, uh, you know to, the, and what I learned was Billy wasn't looking at the picture. Billy was standing up there looking at the audience. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> sure enough, there goes the scene, and you know, it's this car screeching and yeah, this climax, and that, yeah. and you get this silence. You get this silence, right? And the silence is broken by Gene shooting this guy. Yeah. And. 1,200 people erupt and scream and their approval and yeah. And Billy comes walking up the aisle and I see him walking up the aisle. He comes up and he says, it worked for me. It works for them. I hope it works for you. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And that was like an inside thing between Billy and myself. We have a few other inside things uh, between Billy and myself. And they ended up using it for the poster. So now what happens is is that, you know, I get a poster. <laughs> the poster is, that is the guy standing there being shot in the back, only the poster shows the guy's face horribly <laughs> yeah. being shot in the back with Gene Hackman down at the bottom of the stairs and that is the French Connection poster. Yeah. In my opinion, Gene Hackman is committing murder. And Billy, Billy freaking writes on there, it works. <laughs> Love, Billy. Billy freaking. So now, that, so you go on then, that's your first movie, and then you think that's it? Now you, you're, you've done one movie, you, you got a part in it, you play the part at the end at the, uh, when they're, when they're got yeah. the car, so, you know, and you Billy did a little came, acting. Billy came to me and he said, uh, Billy came to me and he said, look, uh, you know, they're taking the car apart. You're well aware of that. He said, and you got to, and, and you have to detain these people. Yeah, that's the part you and, play and, there. And I'm saying to him, uh, well, I'm going to say, he says, I don't want to know. Yeah. I've got time. I, 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 Billy worked a lot like that. Yeah. He said, you know, you're a cop. He says, you're a real cop. These people are coming in. Detain them. Yeah, and that's your part. Your part you play in there, yeah, which is great. Yeah, I played in there, and yeah. I happened to see, and I and I happened to see that sign up there. So I don't know what I'm going to say to these people. So we go to the rehearsal, and we go in the rehearsal, and it says and comes in, and Roy says uh, Roy comes in and he says, Phil, yeah, we got the car. 
you know, uh, you know, the, uh, we, 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 we got the car and it was, uh, and that's where they pick up the scene. Yeah. It's not me detaining them. They pick up the scene from, he comes in and he says, hey, Phil, yeah, we got the car and so forth. And he says to the Frenchman, oh, yeah, well, you know, this is what happens, you know, when the car is. A, and so from that, I improvised. said, ooh, gee, I got why, why it's being detained and yeah. stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And I, I still see the sign. And it's Phil. And it's Phil. And what's the sign say? Um, no smoking. Yeah. It says no smoking. So <clears throat> we're going to do it. And we do it for real. And so that it's not stale. And, and I, in many a picture, I can tell you, Billy did this. Roy, uh, Roy comes in and he says, Randy, uh, we got the car from them. And, you know, uh, you know. Using your name. I, yeah. You know, it was Phil all along. Yeah. And I, and I. <clears throat> Totally, totally sh uh, shocked me. But prior to that, they start the dialogue and the camera comes in and they're starting the dialogue and, I, and, I, and I'm saying, look, we get a thousand of these cars in here, a hundred of these cars in here, blah, blah. And I made up my dialogue and, 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 they're, and they, thank goodness, they are... What the light up. Going to, and I said, sir... Please extinguish your cigarettes. You're in a no-smoking area. Yeah. And I, <laughs> Billy freaking... I could hear him, and I said, oh, boy. And Billy said, oh, my God, Randy, oh, yay, yay. And he doesn't do that. Yeah. He doesn't do that. So... That stayed in the movie. And we yeah. did... He says it's the only laugh in the movie. Yeah. And so... It's funny. Yep. So, we... Uh, and, 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 and really, that's how it got in there. So no. when you when you finish with the French Connection, you think that's your only movie you're going to go back to being a, uh, a homicide detective, and then how do you now progress? How does The Godfather come about? Well, uh, before uh, before the uh, you know we finished the French Connection, and I mean you know to really have your name you know mentioned <laughs> to I don't know how many millions of people you know Gene Hackman you know the French the Academy Award and stuff like that. As um, as kids, and I I cherish this telegram. As kids uh, playing stickball, you know, <clears throat> home plate was uh, the sewer. Yeah. And if you could hit the ball two sewers, I mean, that basically was like an automatic home run to hit the ball two sewers. You know. Yeah. And when the Academy Awards was uh, over, when it was finished. I received a telegram from Phil D'Antoni that said, uh, Randy, uh, Phil always called me Randu. Randu, can do, you yeah. know? And I, the, the telegram says, Randu, we hit two sewers. Oh, that's nice. Great, yeah. that's great. So <clears throat> before I can think about anything, before I can really, I, I, I can really uh, 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 do anything, um, the French Connection basically comes out and uh, Sonny and myself and Eddie, there's no exaggeration here, Dion. We were rock stars. Yeah. We were rock stars. I mean, I mean, prisoners would brag that they got locked up by the French Connection detectives. Who did you get locked up by, you know? Yeah. No, we were truly rock stars. And I must admit, 
doing the job, which I loved, you know, it, 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 that kind of attention, it, it, it became, it became, um, it, it became hard to do. You know, there's a lot of jealousy in this world. Yeah. There's a lot of jealousy. But what happened, what happened to me personally was what became known as the Moss case. I, I was, I was seriously hurt. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not gonna go into it. We all know I, would, well, I, I made the arrest, I caught the killer after yeah. four years. And that's blah, your blah, book, blah. Circle of okay, Six, yeah, that, Phil Cardello's absolutely, murder. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, before <clears throat> I was like firmly grounded back working, you know, the, the cases. And I'd like to point out right now that uh, the Phil Cardillo case uh, was not the only uh, case that I, I worked on. I personally uh, say uh, on tape here, uh, I locked up five cop killers. I personally locked up five cop killers. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, there is a, there's a movie uh, based on me. There is a television show based on me, and uh, uh, <clears throat> and these movies show that I locked up cop killers. Um, so while all this is going on, and I'm working on the Black Liberation Army, I'm not working on the Phil Cardello case. I'm not for a year. I'm working on the Black Liberation Army. BLA, yeah. The BLA. In fact, I wind up with Nick Cirillo going to San Francisco to bring back uh, Bell, who is uh, currently trying to get out. It, it, it's been denied. I don't want to get off into that, but that's what I'm doing. So you're back but into your work as a homicide I'm detective. Back into I'm doing. And they come to me, they come to me, and Eddie, Eddie Egan says... <clears throat> they're making a movie called B Badge 373 and uh, you know it's about me and Bobby Duval is going to be and Randy you know blah 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 you know we, you, I want you in the movie I, you know I, I want you doing what your expertise whatever whatever Eddie said to me and I said okay and so now I'm now running running with uh uh, 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 Robert Duval, who every chance he gets keeps saying to me secretly, pointing to Eddie Egan, is he for real? <laughs> is, is he for real? So <clears throat> I'm, I'm now working in 373, and of course, we're going to have a chase. And of course, this chase is now going to take place on the bus. Okay? So it's a whole other deal. It's a whole other deal of what we're doing, because this is going to take place uh, on the bus. It's almost like another, okay. you know, to, to outdo the now, French connection. And now, I, and now, nothing making this movie surprises me. You know, you go through a movie, start to finish, tossing Jimmy Breslin, and wind up having your name mentioned at the Academy Award. I mean, you know, 
in all honesty, I did not start out in this business uh, making, you know, B-movies no, or independent top Hollywood. movies. Yeah, yeah. It was top Hollywood movies. Yeah. Now, somewhere in between this time, I'm introduced to Francis Ford Coppola. And <clears throat> we talk, and we, we just really talk in general. We talk about uh, uh, the mob. There's nothing in great detail here. Yeah. There's nothing in great detail. It was more, I believe, that he he wanted to meet me and uh, and and to meet uh, meet some other detectives. Did you help him secure locations or anything? Well, you know, absolutely did. Uh, For the New York we did, stuff, we did we did some locations work. Uh, we did a, a, we did a lot of security work. We did a lot of security work in Little it Little Italy. In fact. Um, I, I spent time uh, uh, walking Marlon Brando from his camper uh, to the set and back and some uh, <coughs> conversations uh, with Marlon Brando. Nothing in particular n whatsoever. Yeah. It was just that, uh, you know, I would try to engage him in conversation about the pictures that he did in the past, and Marlon Brando just wa wanted to, to, to know about the homicide cases. By then, you know, the, the, the Moss case, the pictures had been all over the place. Oh, so you know? they didn't at this point know that you were associated exactly, with that. Exactly, yeah. and uh, more, uh, more importantly, uh, you, they knew all about the French Connection. Yeah. So... <clears throat> Uh, we go to, I remember it this way, <clears throat> we go to an extremely hot day, and we go, I believe, out to Nassau Community College campus out there. That's how I remember it. I have read that other people, and they probably know what they're talking about, that it was done more out, and I even forget someplace else. But I do remember where we were, you know, where we before we were going to do the uh, the machine gun scene at the toll booth, they oh, did Sonny's kill, they yeah. did they did what they called the the the, the cannoli the cannoli scene yeah. where they go out there and the guy takes a you know he takes a leak and they they shoot the guy in the back of the head and it's all about the cannolis yeah, and leave stuff. the gun take the cannolis okay yeah. that's where that that's where that scene was yeah. done now I. I don't think it's it's important whether it was done before or after uh, the machine gun scene, but that's where it was done. Now we get ready to do the uh, we get ready to do the machine gun scene. Uh, honestly, it's 110 in those booths. It's 110, and uh, we rehearse. And, and they we give you rehearse. a part. You're one of the gunmen, right? Yeah. And we were all detectives, all detectives, all the gunmen, all the gunmen. That's yeah. ironic. Yeah. Yeah. Dick Orletta, Jimmy Arricchio. Um, all you guys. Just, yeah, uh, all of us. There's, yeah. there's the whole row. So the camera is here. And Coppola puts me in that front boot. Yeah. Where, and the rest of the boots are back there. And <clears throat> this thing is covered and covered and covered. Yeah. And... <clears throat> and we do the rehearsal, and you know, don't forget, you know, we're doing this, we're doing this 
without seeing the toll boot, without seeing anything. All I see out there is is crew, wires, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. we're doing this and, and we're all doing it off of uh, Coppola's action and then what he would say, action, and he would walk in, correct, do it's, it's this. It's kind of a scene you can only do once, especially with exactly Dick Smith. Exactly, you're right. Dick we Smith's makeup and once. all that. So <clears throat> now comes the real deal. <clears throat> he says to me, step out. I also want you to step out. You know, step out, blah, blah, blah. Of course, that's what makes it onto the poster. However, what happened was when we fired, when we all fired, um, I, I don't remember if it was one gun that didn't fire, whether it was the gun that fired, but the candy glass didn't go out, and so they weren't happy with that take. And finally, it got down to the point where Coppola, Coppola actually said to the guys in there, now, mine was such on camera that it had to work, and may, maybe the guy alongside of me, it had to work. But those on down the line, he said, he actually said, if the gun's not working, you know, and he's serious, just go like that and poke the gun gently through, you know, don't, you know, poke the gun through that. <clears throat> through the glass. So it looks like the glass yeah, is shattering. Yeah, the glass yeah. is shattering. Yeah. And so we did it, and we did it, and I stepped out, we did it, then on a separate take later on, to walk over and kick him, and I run and uh, get on the car. But that yeah. was done, I would say, in two days. It was done in it was done in two uh, in in two days. Whether we had the uh, the first day, whether we had it in the can, and then we came back the next morning because the light was right. I yeah. don't. I but I do. I do remember. I I even I I, I wouldn't dare. If if, if if Coppola ever comes on and says that it didn't happen that yeah. way at all, I, you know, that's the way that I remember it. Uh, I, I, I would almost say that we got it in the first day and we were probably, they went off to look at it, you know what I'm saying? And, just got and then maybe came back and day, got, yeah. you know, got a safety the yeah. next so day. So you end up being the guy that walks out, <clears throat> shoot, shoots uh, with your Thompson, Sunday a little more, and then kicks him in the face and then you run and jump in the car. And that's the end of you know him, his demise in the toll booth. And you mm -hmm. ended up, you, you told me you ended up blowing your entire year's vacation there for 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 that. I did the, the, the Godfather shoot. I did. Yeah. I I I went on vacation. I went on vacation for seven or eight days, uh, 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 doing uh, doing the Godfather, and how I was allowed to do that, and how I did that was, once again, just like everybody else, you know, I was. I was uh, being run down. For instance, if I had to go to work at night and, and, and do, and I never shortchanged that, do, do that, and I had to be on the movie set eight o'clock in the morning, if I worked all night, I did, show up on the, I did show up on the movie set and, you know, give them a day's work or, or whatever it was. And then if I had to go back on that night with plenty of advance, I would take a vacation day. Yeah. Not if I was testifying. And, uh, no, I never took. I yeah. never. I, I. So, so that's how I did it, and um, and normally, you know, I would get two and a half days off, 
two and a half days off from the police department. You have to work in, you know, 50 hours a week. You you get two and a half hours as a detective. That's what we worked. You get two and a half hours off. Days. Two and a half days yeah. off. And, you know, and, you know, contrary to what people believe, we do not get Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. Yeah. You know, you know, we're off during the week and they're filming during the week. So that worked out. That really, so I was able to, uh, that would, yeah. that would work out for me in a, in a lot of years because I came into the business in 1971, 1972, and I didn't retire until 1978. As a detective? Yes. Yeah. All of that time, I was able to work my vacation uh, along the lines like that. <clears throat> uh, my wife, uh, my wife uh, you know, my, my wife will tell you that. I was basically... I was basically uh, never, never, never home. Is that uh, around that time did you end up meeting Joe Spinell on the God, first Godfather? Okay. Or? So after we, after we're now doing uh, uh, Badge Three Seven Three, Phil D'Antoni comes to me and he says, uh, <clears throat> "Randu, can do. We're going to do the Seven Ups." <laughs> I said, "Sure, why not?" <clears throat> and he said, "You know." do some driving and I said absolutely uh, not a problem you know uh, working with Bill and so forth and of and course Bill Hickman again yeah. of course heading, Roy, up, Roy heading, again. Up, heading up all of this yeah. with the writing and everything is Sonny Grasso yeah I mean I mean it, it's Sonny Grasso that's brought me to this and 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 and, and did it all and and has done this uh by the time the Seven Ups is coming around, I'm, I'm learning my way. Yeah. And the smart money, the smart money in a film is in production. Uh, you can act. You can act for two days or three days. I'm never going to reach the level where I'm going to be, you know, the co-star or whatever it is and, and work. So you can act and get you know, a weekly, or you can act one day, two days, and get a daily. A wage, yeah, a rate, yeah. But if you're in production, you're there from day one until the wrap party. Yeah. You're there the whole length of the way. And, you know, fortune over fame, and I'll take that word from from, uh, fortune and change it to money, you know, over... I'll I'll take I'll take the money. Yeah, I'll take the fame. I'll take the money anytime, you know? And and as time went on, before I even get to uh Vigilante and Joe Spinell and Maniac and stuff, but and as time went on and I'm I'm doing I'm 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 doing these movies, you know So it just becomes I like a saw like a like a a, a, a Rock of falling on a hill. You do one movie, and then it leads you to another one, leads you to another one, and then the f- the first ones and, out of the gate, like you said, these, they're all big Hollywood. Th- and that's what I want to yeah. stress. All very, very big. I mean, the French Connection to the Godfather, very, very Badge Three Seven Three. Yeah. Those are huge <clears throat> at the time. The lower down that I got in uh, in budgets and and and, uh, and 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 big stars and stuff like that. Uh, by the time I got down to independent independent movies or not these huge big budgeted movies I was doing a lot more acting yeah I was more on 
uh, I was more on camera rather than, you know, uh, you know, you know, I certainly wasn't going to have a part in The Godfather, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you got a part anyway. <laughs> but you know. Yeah. So, so what, what, I, what I noticed was the following, and I've given this example, given this example uh, before. I likened it quite quickly to being a homicide detective back in the day. Because when I got to the homicide scene, of course, I'm not tired of saying this and I will say it forever, I would go into the homicide scene and some of them, I can't forget that I would like to forget, involve children. I mean children in a crib. 19 month old, 19 month old, you know, molested. 19 months she was molested laying in the, in the bassinet. But in any case, I would go in there and the first thing that I would say is, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And then I could operate. So just to get yourself okay, so around now, it. So, so now what do I have to operate? Well, okay. I need I need the medical examiner. I need I need the guy is dead, but I need to know the cause of death. I have to have a cause of death. Okay. Uh, any witnesses? I have to find a phone and I have to call ballistics. I now have to call the fingerprint people. I now have to call um, the, the medical examiner's office. Uh, ballistics, uh, photo, very important. I now have all of these phone calls. There's about seven or eight phone calls. So, so, gotta, so it's prior to cell phones, of course. And then as well as today where you have these, I, you have forensics and all that. Back then it was all you doing it all. Not only that, not only that, trust me, there wasn't phones in some of the buildings. And so my partner would have to go out while I stayed, and, and I, had, I have to go out the guard scene. Yeah, the scene. And the most important thing to any good homicide detective, any good homicide detective, is to take that moment, shut everything out, and let that scene speak to you. And it will. Let it let it speak to you. Something that the photo's not going to show. The I'm telling you, it's there. And that's almost now, like you're saying you could just see by observation or deduction what has happened. And I'm coming to my own conclusion right there from the scene, not from what this cop is telling me. Yeah. I mean, this is a drug deal gone. But I, I'm knowing it. This is revenge. This is a wife getting it. I'm no. I know. And it's what funny because we see this a thousand times on, you know, Columbo, Kojak, whatever show it is or movie. You see that, and it's almost like it's a cliche now. But that's actually what you end up doing. You sit there and you kind of piece it together, and you play the Sherlock Holmes part, and you can kind of tell by the evidence. Well, this looks like it was random because and, there was a fight first. And remember, this is a this is happening on a Tuesday. Six months from now, on a Tuesday, I'm going to be in court. And it's only me in court and blah, blah, blah. When did you call ballistic? When did you? That's me. That, that's what I got to do. Okay? And it's real. I show up to the scene of a homicide. Now, <clears throat> I am totally responsible for everything. The property within the room, wherever it is, I'm responsible for everything. I call all of the shots. I'm the one that makes the case. I'm the one 
that's going to make the arrest. I am going to be the primary person that gets this all the way through the system. I am going to be the one that's going to convince 12 jurors that this man, this perpetrator, is guilty. It's, it, it's mine. So what are my responsibilities? From the very, very beginning, a case is made from the beginning. It's not made from the end. Yeah. And so I have to call ballistics, the fingerprint people, uh, the search people, uh, photo. There's so much that I'm responsible for, and I have to get all of that back to me. All of that has to come back to me. I have to build a case enough that, that I can make an arrest. And there has to be enough there to get an indictment to go to trial. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> and that's a lot of work. Of and that is R-E-A-L. That's real life. That's real work. A, hu a human being has lost his life. Now, when it comes to making movie, and I saw the wardrobe people, I saw the, the, the people that bring the food. Um, I did meet with the casting people uh, in time. I, I saw that all of this, every level of this, went through the producer. Not, not, the, not so much the executive producer that's sitting out there doling out the money, uh, uh, and maybe not even the producer who's going to be making uh, making uh, making the deals with the Steve McQueens, yeah. and but the producer day that's, to day, like that's the line day producer, to yeah. day, the line producer that's on site. Yeah, that really is it. Once again, maybe not a good example, but I'm telling you right now, within the police department, you know, mm -hmm. in my day, out in the street. The sergeants ran the job. Not the lieutenant, not the captain, not the inspector, not the police commission. Oh, they dictated policy, but it was done. The army was the same way. The sergeants ran it. For my time, it was the sergeants, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, running up those hills and stuff like that, you know, God bless them. I didn't see the generals. Yeah. You know, it was, okay. So... <clears throat> I saw that and I said, I said, to my, I said it to myself, being involved in so many of these pictures and, and knowing all of these details and seeing how it was done, no, I couldn't thread a camera, but yes. Uh, you can coordinate. You know, I didn't know the lenses, yeah. but I pretty near knew, you know? So the producer, you know, was much I'm not like talking a, about above the line with yeah. the talent, but the producer makes the deal with the wardrobe people, makes the deal for the food. The producer is the one that, you know, now after you, ma after you make the deal with the wardrobe people, no, the producer doesn't have to go down there and say, this is the suit, that's what it yeah. is. You know, it's, it's you, you delegate this to, uh, uh, this to be done. So I found that, that, this is what I wanted to do. I never had a single thought about what I was going to do when I left the police department. I did not. I, I had no thoughts whatsoever.
I certainly, I certainly didn't base it on that I was going to leave and become this actor. And you know, no, no. More than most likely, I would wind up like like the rest of them, maybe becoming a, a chief in a village, or a, as this village would prove, or security and yeah. so forth and so on. But no. <clears throat> you slipped into this. Yeah. So I said, I like I can do this. So after after uh, these big pictures, after these big pictures are made, I suddenly find myself um, in an arena of where um, you're really not making union deals. Uh, you're really not making you know screen actors guild deals. Um, there, there basically are no rules except the rules that you really have to ad adhere to. I mean, if 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 you want a, a picture with a stamp of a, of a, of approval from Screen Actors Guild, you have to use Screen Actors Guild yeah. actors. But I learned, I learned making low budget movies that if this scene called for. 10 or 15 people running around, you you could make a deal with Screen Actors Guild where you might only have to hire eight Screen Actors Guild people and you could use non-Screen yeah, Actors non Guild. Yeah. This was all based on the budget, so you, based on the money that I had here. And I made those deals. And you ended up having steady work. So you ended I up did. doing a God Told Me To, which is a cult classic. I did, uh, uh, I did. Larry Cohen. Larry Cohen. Yeah. Uh, How did you get Tony into that? Lobian uh, Tony Lobianco. Uh, uh, Tony Lobianco. Um, uh, Was that from your connection with the French Connection? You I knew? don't. I. Uh, I. I. I don't remember. I don't remember Tony Lobianco, who was a friend of mine and who I worked in the French Connection with, and and of course the Seven Ups, and I worked in the Jura as an actor. Uh, with Tony Lobianco in a big scene uh, with uh, Julia Roberts yeah. and Alec Bold. Yes, um, Tony, uh, but it was Larry Cohen. And Larry Cohen was constantly after me. He wanted to do a movie. He wanted to do a police story. He did. He wanted to do something. I wasn't the only uh, detective that he was talking to. And we never got to work that out. Now, I'm not... I'm not sure of this, but I think that Larry Cohen and and uh, and uh, Billy uh, Bill Lustig, I'm not so sure that they didn't know each other. But in any case, yeah, I am now working on the picture with uh, Larry Cohen, and I'm making the Screen Actors Guild deals yeah. for Larry Cohen. Uh, uh, we're filming out on Staten Island. We're filming a scene where somebody has to get into the car, and the on-site screen uh, Screen Actors Guild. No, you gotta have a you gotta have an actor that's in Screen Actors Guild get into the car, and um, these are very interesting stories. But this is how I learned, and <clears throat> the uh, Screen Actors Guild says you gotta have a guy, a Screen Actors Guild, and I go to the Screen Actors Guild guy, and I said to I said to him, um, Do you have a license? Uh, yes, I have a license. Have you ever done any stunt or whatever it is? And he says, no, I haven't. I went back to the Screen Actors Guild and I said, no, he, he, he's not going to do it because he can't do this, he can't do the other thing. I won. The guy, the guy got in there. And of course, 
we're giving we're giving the guy twenty five dollars versus one hundred and fifty yeah, for the for, rate for the okay, sag rate. Yeah. That's what I did for Larry Cohen. Yeah. However, but you you a lot of you talking about stealing shots. It seems like that whole uh, St. Patrick's Day sequence that I they did. dressed uh, Andy Kaufman up in the I outfit. Did. I did. That's all. Was that by now? By now, in pictures like that and in Vigilante, these shots were, uh, these scenes, these shots were expected of me. Yeah. They were. It. it they just were. So, <clears throat> so now we're going to do a scene on the ferry. And we're going on the scene and they're rehearsing the scene and we're doing the scene on the ferry and we can't be in the normal ferry lanes that are going back and forth. They run the ferry aground and we're stuck out there. I mean we're stuck out there for hours right no food no food <clears throat> they're trying to send boats out not it's too dangerous to take us off they try send boats out with food whatever it was is anybody really sick although i think we had some medical personnel personnel with us uh and i'm telling you it 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 it, it got hairy yeah and <clears throat> I, we, I believe we waited for the tide. This is all in the papers. Of course, it's Larry Cohen. And we wait for the tide, and it comes free, and we come off. And the first thing that we're coming off, right? Yeah. Screen Actors Guild representatives are there, and they're saying to me, you know what this is going to cost? You know what it's going to be? This is what it's going to be? We, uh, we want these people signing out now. Uh, I'm not going to say it's triple time. It's overtime and uh, along the lines like that. Because oh, you I, had them stuck out there. And that's yeah, it. The union. And I, I, I said to them, I simply said to them, if I have to go to court, no matter what I have to do, we will reach an agreement here. I said, but no. I said, not doing this. I'm not doing this. And we're going to pull the actors from out of the movie. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I won. Yeah. I, I, I really won. That was my experience with making Larry Cohn's... God told me to. And, and God, I mean, that, and that turned out to be a very cult classic movie to this day. They still, exactly, you know... Exactly, um, exactly. And then you move on. You do Contract, contract on Cherry Street with Frank Sinatra. That's Robert Davi's <clears> first <throat> film. Contract, uh, contract on, uh, contract on, on, on Cherry, on, on Cherry, Cherry Street. To me, I quickly saw, not because maybe it was Frank Sinatra, but I quickly saw, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking, I'm speaking for Randy, not for anybody. Else, yeah. That there was no budget. Uh, this was going to be a television uh, miniseries, and uh, you know, in in television. Every got, everybody got paid. There was no such thing as, uh, look, we're going to do this scene. It, it needs 10 Screen Actors Guild people, but we can only find it. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, television, you know, uh, yeah. there, there, there were no deals, you know. So <clears throat> I also believe, I also believe that this is how I remember it that contract on Cherry Street, I believe one of the first people that was gonna, was gonna be on board was uh, Richard Gere. Okay. Richard Gere. 
be an early role. I don't him. know what role. I have no yeah. idea. Now, Contract on Cherry Street, obviously, it started with a book. Yeah. And I had met uh, the, the Rosenberg uh, brothers, uh, namely Phil Rosenberg, to this day uh, remains a friend. Phil Rosenberg later on would write his first movie of the week, and it was called Shadow of a Killer, and of course, it's based it's based on me. And that was Treat Williams. Uh, Shadow uh, Shadow of a Killer. Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula. I'm sorry. Scott, Scott Bakula. Yeah. We had to go to Chicago. What I'm thinking it? of uh, Prince of the City. Prince yeah. of the City. Yeah. A different thing. Yeah. <clears throat> There's where had a little difference of opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but uh, we <clears throat> so from from there <clears throat> we're now going to do uh, somewhere in there uh, we're now going to do vigilante, and this is going to be my first producing my 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 my, uh, my first producing uh, uh, picture, and uh, believe me, I was full of confidence. I. I I, I knew I could do this. Um, the uh, the investors, you know what I mean. The uh, the investors who I would meet. One of them was from a group called. Uh, don't take your love. Don't take your love out on me, baby. For the the four guys that that, that sang that song, uh, one of them was an investor, okay. a good investor. Hamilton, Joe, and Frank—something were their names. I don't know which one was the investor. Uh, he had a—he uh, had a girlfriend, and of course, uh, <clears throat> later on, the girlfriend uh, wasn't in Vigilante, but she was in Maniac, uh, and she had had a small scene in a James Bond movie. So oh, Catherine, we, Catherine Moreau. M-U-R-O. Yeah, M-U-N-R-O. Yeah. Okay. She's like All in right. the spiral love me. Okay. So now we're going to do Vigilante. And um, I, uh, we see the screenplay, and I, I meet Bob Forrester. I, I meet, uh, I meet uh, uh, the football player, Fred Williamson. I would later do two pictures uh, for Fred Will uh, Williamson. I guess maybe meeting him through Vigilante, whatever it was, however that would be. So Vigilante turned out to be Turned out to be uh, turned out to be the the, the, the picture that uh, I was able to go on and do other movies, rather large movies, uh, ba based based on uh, vig vigilante. Um, you have a big part in it was, too, acting wise as well. Right. Uh, it was it was cutting my teeth as becoming a producer, and I. I quickly, quickly learned the most important, important word or sentence uh, in becoming a producer was no, uh, or no, you can't. You know what I mean? And that was all based on I knew how much money I had. And no, you can't do that. Or no, you know, you know, yeah. that was the most important thing at being a producer. And what you what you do is you find yourself, you find yourself uh, on the other side of the director, which you don't ever want to be. 
but when his vision uh, for uh, for a scene uh, goes to be a dollar and a half, and you only got seventy-five cents to do that scene. I mean, th there's got to be a compromise in there. So I could talk about vigilante for another hour uh, on on what went on, on on how I finished that movie, you know, giving the crew twenty-five cents on you, the dollar. You basically ran out of money. We ran out of money. And you kind of got everyone to we, finish it. Uh, yep, for 25 cents on the dollar. And they did. And then you ended up and paying them did. back. And they did. Uh, we paid them. We paid them back on, uh, we paid them back on, I believe, on, on Maniac. Yeah. I believe that uh, Maniac, we paid them back. And how did we pay them back on Maniac? Basically, most of the crew, if not all, that was on Vigilante, was on Maniac. Yeah, you know, they 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 came right uh, they came right with us. I was almost like a hero to these, uh, you know, to these people after uh, Vigilante. And you, you're and in many of friendships, and that's lusting too. He did both films, and you're in the end of a Maniac as well. And that's a huge Maniac is a huge film for people for the right. in the horror genre. Right. And Joe Spinell and that whole <clears throat> on 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 Vigilante, on Vigilante. Uh, uh, we decided uh, we had a sequence. We had a money sequence of of how we were going to uh, to do this picture, and uh, <clears throat> I, I don't I don't know five days six days into the picture, we knew that we were going to run out of money, so we decided to do whatever the chase was in Vigilante which I drove. Uh, I drove a chase in Vigilante uh, <clears throat> that I drove the car that was being chased. And when we finished doing that, I got out of that car and I got into the car that was doing the chasing. He I literally that. was chasing myself. Yeah. The, reason, the reason that we, well, of course, you know, the stunt driver would have cost this, that, and everything else, and, and I just did it. However, <clears throat> the reason that we did that is that we took that sequence, we took that sequence, and we went out to uh, investors. Uh, that scene was sent at that time. Uh, Bill, Bill Freakin knows more about this than me. It was sent to the people that were going to con or the people that had come back from con that sequence and that opened up a lot of pocketbooks that scene that we weren't going lusty, to lusty yep yeah yep and and we we raised and we raised we raised a lot of money now you know we 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 did we raise a hundred thousand dollars maybe that is chump change, maybe in the Godfrey, but $100,000 back then, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was worth a lot of money, and we stretched every nickel and dime out of that to put that picture into the can, you know? Now, you, you, you worked with Spinell through all this as well, and he became a friend of yours. I, I, 
I work with Spinell. Uh, I, I work with uh, with uh, Robert Forrester. I met I met Frankie uh, Frankie Pesh. That's a whole other story. I had om- almost locked up Frankie Pesh in the street when I was a cop, and now here's Frankie Pesh working as a, yeah. as an actor. Frankie Pesh's Frankie Pesh's brother uh, was a cop, so hence Frankie Pesh. Want to buy a watch? Yeah. That's what he was, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. So yeah, I I met a lot of people that uh, you know on pictures that turn out to be lifelong friendships. And I'll I'll go back to Billy Freakin and Phil D'Antoni. Uh, do I talk to to, to Coppola all the time? I mean, this phone right here and now will ring. And my wife will tell you yeah. it's Phil D'Antoni or it's Billy Freakin. Uh, I mean, Roy Scheider, Tony Lobianco, I, all of that, Jimmy Russo. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so those friendships last. So <clears throat> now we go in to do, now we go in to do, uh, we, 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 we go in to do Maniac. And that really is a step, that really is uh, a step below let's say money wise rules uh maniac first of all joe spinell wrote maniac and he wrote maniac in such a way that when the screen uh when when the uh when the script went to screen actors guild they would not allow screen uh, actor guild people in the movie therefore they just thought it was too obscene or too yes, uh, yeah too violent yeah too too upsetting yeah. that was the first that's how he wrote it the first time yeah for that purpose that a trick yeah that's how these movies got made whether 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 people in the business today or in the unions want to hear this that's those pictures would not have been made if these things were not done and so that was a ploy almost to get SAG out of it. They were out of it. Yeah, and that's how you'd be able to afford they then. They absolutely were out of it. Screen yeah. Actors Guild was out of it. And so therefore, we were going ahead to make this movie. Now, how are you going to make this movie if Screen Actors Guild is not approving? How are you going to get um, Joe Spinell, who's in Screen Actors Guild? How are you going... Well, if they volunteer and they want to do it, this was going to be court cases. This was go- uh, how, however this was going to work. No time for that. Let's get this picture in the can. We're going out tonight, and this is what we're going to film. Are we telling the mayor's office? Uh, are we going to have insurance out there? Are we going to have this? Are we going to have permits? No, we're not. So you stole uh, this, a lot of that as well, yeah. We stole the whole picture. Yeah. We stole the whole picture. Now, somewhere, somewhere in that, we did strike a deal with Screen Actors Guild. Whether it was over scenes that they weren't allowed to be in or whatever, you know, it's a long time ago, yeah. but this, to quote Billy Freakin, this is how I remember it. So how This is what we did. So you would go out and you'd help them steal stuff where Spinell exactly. would shoot something and One of the go. biggest ones was the train. One of the biggest ones was the... Uh, the subway uh, scene there? Yeah, uh, the subway scene. Where he, sh- so he what, kills the so nurse. So what I did was we told the mayor's office, we're going to film We're going to film on the train that goes back and forth from the east side to the west side on 
Forty uh, Second Street. Yeah, and we're going to film there, and <clears throat> you know uh, we're going to film at at such and such a time or whatever it was. Uh, they wanted to see the, the they wanted to see uh, what was going to be filmed. Uh, you you weren't allowed to do graffiti. You weren't going to kill anybody on there. You weren't going to do that. You were absolutely not. We're not going to do it. And so uh, we sent. Uh, I want to exaggerate here. So uh, we sent uh, a couple of PAs uh, uh, with a with a tripod and uh, I, a camera that was maybe used in the 1940s, and they went and they sat up over there, and they sat, the, the mayor's office was there, the cops were there, and then we went up to the ass end of the Bronx and, 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 and filmed the scene. And you filmed the murder scene in the, in the bathroom and all that there. That's how, you got, that's how you get away with it. That's how we did it. Yeah. They were all down there waiting and blah, 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 and so forth and so on. Yep, and that's how we did it. Making a picture like Maniac, I went into uh, General Camera, uh, <clears throat> and they had, they had, um, they they had um, the best equipment there ever was. You know, um, you you could get a camera package, and it might be bronze, and th they had a camera package that was gold. It was the best, the best there ever was, and uh, I was able to make a deal. I was able to make a deal with them because they were behind and for independent filmmaking. They the were, they were trying to help yep, up-and-comers. So I could go in there and get a gold package, you don't understand, at bronze prices that had been reduced to begin with because we were doing an independent film and we didn't have that much more money. I, Randy Jurgensen, was able to do that. And, you know, this was, I guess, the beginning or the birth of guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. If I ever have the chance to speak at Purchase College or any of these film things, this is what I would talk about. This is how these films were made, you know? Uh, if films are made one, two, three, four, five, we were making these films one, six, yeah. seven, now and then c coming back in there. Virtually, uh, you know, I got a reputation in the city of New York as the uh, producer that delivered these films, finished these films. Now, I was involved with a film that w I was involved with a film, and I think it was called. Um, I'm not going to get the name of it, uh, and we had uh, eight or nine days to go, and the producer-director was going ahead, and <clears throat> there was no payroll. There was no payroll, and I said, I got to see the payroll. I, there, there is no payroll. Don't worry, we're going to have the payroll. He was ordering tulip cranes, and I, I, there was no way I could pay for these things, Right. And I went to him and I said, if I don't have the payroll, the crew is not working. They're not going to work. You wouldn't do that. I said, I will. They're, they're not going to do that. You're fired. I said, you can fire me. I said, the crew is not working. I'm telling them they're not going to work. He said, how are you going to do that? And I said, I'm closing the picture. He said, you won't. And I did. Yeah. That picture was not finished. I closed the picture. At, because the crew were, were not, they were not going to be paid. The equipment that we were having there, which is Randy Jurgensen's deals, those people were not going uh, to be paid. 
You know, yeah. I mean, there, there, there was not an inch from him. And uh, close that picture. Uh, I, I did close the picture, and more so in the independent filmmaking, I really did get, uh, if you want to say, much more, uh, much more respect. I mean, people. I'm not bragging, but people in in these movies would come to me and say, Randy, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this for my normal price. Uh, two reasons. Uh, one, to work with you, and secondly, to get the experience that I need so I can join the union. Yeah. Because I used, you know, the riggers and all of these people. These were non-union people. Yeah. You know, I had a production manager by the name of Dennis Hahn um, <clears throat> married to Mary, I can't think of her name, she started with me in Vigilante. She's a big producer. Dennis Hahn was my production manager. I mean, I could go to sleep having him as the production manager. Nothing got by him. That And he was never in the union. That's how these pictures well, at got the made. And the same time you were still doing big budget, you show up in Superman, you're in, you're in a you cameo in Superman, you're going after... Uh, I, I got, I, I, in Superman, I got just three... Uh, three locations, security work for them, and I absolutely show up in the underground at the Grand Central. Yeah, you're following Ned Beatty to, exactly. to, the, to the Gene Hackman exactly. layer. Exactly, exactly. Layer. That was almost a last-minute thing. Yeah. Uh, that's Dick Donner. Yeah, yeah, Richard Donner, yeah. Richard Donner, yeah. right. And, okay, and, 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 that, and, and that, that's, how I, that's how I did in uh, Superman. Uh, I had met Dick Donner before, before, and I met him through Louis DiGiamo, who Louis DiGiamo was doing the casting for uh, Dick Donner's movie. You know, we had reached the point in this industry, we had reached the point, who's we? Eddie Egan, Sonny Grasso, uh, certainly myself, uh, we had reached a point in, in, in this industry where people honestly wanted to meet us just just to meet us you know what i'm saying uh what paved the way probably the french connection yeah. we were the real uh you know that that paved the way for that i mean you 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 don't uh, you don't appear you know on a poster talking to capola you know you don't deliver a picture in that independent world which which you know didn't exist at MGM and yeah. you know in you know delivering pictures like vigilante you know so yeah you know i became you know i became pretty well pretty well known by then uh, uh by then they had done another television show what a big splash we got they had done another television show at NBC based on Sonny Grasso and myself, Hal Linden and Tony Lobianco, and it was called Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. Yeah. Tony Lobianco is Sonny Grasso, now operating outside of the job because he got hurt. Hal Linden, you know, because they figured they never looked at my complexion. Hal Linden, Jurgensen, he's got to be Scandinavian, Swede. We get the lightest, blondest guy you can to play Jurgensen. Yeah. And they did. NBC did that, Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. So that word is all out to the people that it has to be, if you know yeah. what I mean. The people within the industry, you know? I'm, 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 
I'm meeting uh, Frank Sinatra's uh, Frank Sinatra's agent. I knew Jilly before. Uh, Frank Sinatra uh, Frank Sinatra gives me gives me me personally a medal. He gives me a medal. It's gold. Yeah. And with the chain, it's St. Francis. Yeah. I mean, you know, Marlon Brando. I I I, I go to dinner. Uh, with uh, with, Mar uh, with Marlon Brando for no other reason other than just a bit. So that is propelling me along in the industry here, and I'm going more and more and more towards production rather than the the acting part of it. Um, two more before we we, we sure r wind I this hope up. we hit thinner. Uh, three more. Well, actually, yeah. Uh, Sorcerer. Okay. <clears throat> now, Sorcerer. So now we come to Sorcerer. And um, once again, out of a clear blue sky, um, I'm with Billy. And he's going to he's, he's going to do, have you ever heard of a picture? I don't know, called Wages of Fear, Wages of Sin. I said, it's one of the, I, lo I love that picture. I really love that picture. And I'm going to do that picture. A whole fresh perspective, entirely different. This, you know, don't look at that movie, blah, blah, the same as he told me with cruising, don't read the book, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, and we're going to do Sorcerer. Okay. <clears throat> when I see how we're going to do Sorcerer, by the way, it's not named at this point. Yeah. When I see how we're going to do Sorcerer, and of course, we're going to do this uh, in the 70s or whatever it was. Uh, no, 80s. We did. What did we? 77. 77. Yeah, I'm off the job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How we, we're going to do crew, uh, Sorcerer. And I'm saying to myself, boy, with the, all of the modern technology that we have today, and the oil is being wasted like that, and we're in the oil crisis of our life. You know, we can't get gas and everything. You remember the 70s? Yeah. And we're. These guys are going to get in a truck to, to go. Why don't they help? I never said a word. Yeah. Never said a word about that. So we start out to make the sorcerer. Next thing I know, holy Christ, we're in uh, Iran or whatever it is. And basically, what the sorcerer is, is the story of, I'm going to say, four guys. It's the story of four guys on how they get to what they're going to do. And an awful lot of the picture is spent on what they do to get them there. That town, yeah. And of course, that town is going to be Santa Domingo, yeah. which I, I, can't, I can't tell you how much time I spent in Santa Domingo. So each guy does what he does gets in trouble and has to flee, blah, 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 all of them do it. And now when it comes to the Roy Scheider character, well, <clears throat> and it's Frankie Pesh, by the way, that has the, uh, his bride. Oh, yeah, the has, black guy. Has the black guy. Yeah. So it's, um, we're going to do the wedding scene. And it's Roy Scheider going to, and Roy Scheider is uh, Scanlon, I think. Mm. And, and he robs the church, and it's the wrong it's the boys. Yeah. It's really the boys, and really what happens. So enter Randy. Yeah, because he steals mob money. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. one of the boys. Yeah. And so I, I meet Roy, and blah 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 blah, 
and um, <clears throat> take a train, you know, take a train down to Baltimore, uh, meet a guy by the name of, uh, uh, where am I going? Uh, 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 and, I say, and I say to him, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Meet a guy down in Baltimore, uh, Billy Freakin had uh, what they thought was a heart attack. And it was uh, angina, yeah. bad. And so once he got out of that, once he got out of the hospital, and he writes me a letter, which I have today. How are you, Billy? He says, well, he says, I'm getting out of the hospital. He says, I'm going down to Baltimore, and I'm going to meet a guy by the name of yeah. whatever it is. And, uh, and I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going to. I still have that letter. That, that became it's a, a joke treasure. between the two that of you. Became, we've used that a number of times. So, <clears throat> so now, that's what we do. And the next thing I know, you know, of course, Joe Spinell, whom I now know from a number of pictures, uh, cruising and uh, I forget whatever else we did. So I meet Joe, Joe Spinell down at um, in Santa Domingo. And he's not well. Joe Spinell, he's not well. And he has, which I'm not going to say on tape here, other than he has a lot of personal problems uh, with the woman that he cares for. Look, everybody knows this, and she's, uh, she's in porn, yeah. you know? And to solve his problems, he marries her. Yeah. He, winds up, he, he winds up marrying her. And of course, he wants to bring her to Santa Domingo, and you know, Billy, uh, Randy, you gotta talk to him. You know, a lot of stuff with Billy is, Randy, Sort it out. Yeah. Soon as Billy would call me over, this is another thing between us, Billy would say, Randy, and I would say, I'm working on it because I, I knew what it was going to be. Yeah. So uh, we're down in Santa Domingo, and of course, uh, we're going through it. And the toughest part, the toughest part in Santa Domingo is that um, we have no electricity. Uh, we have uh, people that are mysteriously uh, disappearing off the streets. We have, uh, we have, uh, we have the- uh, You're being kidnapped? Uh, we have the police. We have the, pol uh, we hear these stories all the time. Yeah. We, have, we have the police and they're showing up uh, uh, in brown shirts. And you know what that reminds you of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So- The uh, Gestapo. And now we have the, uh, and, and, and now we have the army. And the army is shepherding us around. The army is taking us no matter where we go, even into the bowels of the jungle, which we can't get in. The army is doing it. And I'm telling you, once again, this is me. I've been in the military. I'm the police officer. The way these guys dress, the way they treat their weapons, I mean, I see them walking, uh, walking and dragging their weapon on the ground. I mean... Soldiers? I don't know about that, you know? Yeah. So I'm very, very skeptical, and so is Billy. So we're down in Santa Domingo, and we're, we're going out to do scenes within, within the jungle. I mean, we cut our way in there. We literally do. We just cut our way in, in, into the jungle. I mean, there's no way that we're going to get the truck in there. There's yeah. no way we're going to get the truck in there. And Billy Freakin says, yes, we are.
And so guess what? We get the truck in there. You know, but every day that we went out there, in fact, they, it was such a struggle that we started helicoptering Billy in there, you know, rather than to try to get in there. I mean, do we leave the equipment and stuff like that? Basically, they didn't want to leave the camera equipment, the rain, the this, that. I mean, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And we would come back at the end, at the end, and, <clears throat> and Billy would be up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and he'd be editing the movie. Why he didn't do this during the day is that we lost electricity. We stayed in a hotel called El, Conv El Convante. It was, a, it was a convent. And it was, there was an elevator that went for three floors. We never took the elevator. It would get stuck in between the floors. The, ele the electricity would go off. So I'm sure all of that has improved. Yeah. That is by far, worst. by far, the worst, toughest movie that I, I worked on with Billy, with, with Billy. Somewhere along the lines, I learned, and probably before I got there, that the movie was going to be called The Sorcerer. And it was being called The Sorcerer, as I remember it, that it was on one of the trucks. Yeah, El Lazaro and Sorcerer is one and of the so trucks. And he so named, he named the movie The Sorcerer. Yeah, which I think threw a lot of people off, and then that's why there it There you it go. Kind of so, you know... It bombed at the office. Uh, so when it hindsight, came out. Yeah. walking in somebody's footsteps, I would dare do that to Billy Freakin. Yeah. But Billy Freakin's picture, The Exorcist, had come out, yeah. and it was such a huge success. So people thought going in oh, and seeing this is going to be the same kind of a thought, thing. Mm, and then yeah. open the same weekend of Star Wars. So <clears> there you go. It's like you know, how can you compete? It's it's true, but from well respected directors in this in the business yeah. and still in the business today and not that i heard that they said this one in particular said this personally to me that that was the best picture of all of billy freakin's work which i agree that's with the one that's that, my favorite of his as well that is the one that is the favorite to these people and you, and I mean Scorsese says this yeah I mean uh, you know I worked with uh, he's he, he's no long he's no longer with us I'm getting so bad with names here well I, I appeared a running series called Homicide yeah Sidney Lumet oh yeah and uh, Homicide I, Life in the Street right uh, yeah. I was the narcotic lieutenant in it I was not a good a good I not as acting you're I mean, a dirty cop I was a dirty cop yeah. and <clears throat> Sidney Lumet had said to me about, because they all knew how many movies I had worked with, uh, with Billy Freakin, that The Sorcerer was his best work. Yeah, you know, and, and then that, you did, lastly, you did Cruising with him right afterward. I did Cruising. Yeah. I did Cruising, <clears throat> and Cruising, I mean, what am I going to say about Cruising? Cruising was... <clears throat> Cruising was just, was just, uh, uh, I mean, <clears throat> uh, J Jerry Weintraub, who wanted to manage me, Jerry Weintraub was the executive producer. Uh, Jerry Weintraub, I met on uh, contract on uh, Cherry Street. We have just lost Jerry Weintraub this year. Yeah. Uh, he did the, all the huge movies with uh, uh, George Clooney and stuff. Jerry Weintraub, 
was out on the set uh, while we were filming cruising and we were under I I I I don't I I don't want to say under siege. I don't want to say we were in, in combat. But the bottles that were flying struck Jerry Weintraub, and he got stitches. So people in, were upset the, about the content, and the, but, they were going to be. But what what I counter that with is that if there were fifty people, and that's all it takes to disrupt the movie, five could yeah. do it. If there were fifty people out there screaming and shouting. And not everybody was throwing bottles, and maybe it only happened once. There was a hundred people on the other side, you know, that were for it. Well, they the people and for they it helped in you. It. Yeah, they helped you Absolutely. shoot the movie, shoot Absolutely. locations. Absolutely, I guess people were upset at the time that you were going to be uh, scandalizing the, you know, the, the the content. But imagine trying to film in real under locations, those conditions yeah. uh, with Al Pacino, yeah. who was a trooper. Yeah. So, those that those that we filmed out in the street, certainly there was sound, but we went into the we went into the sound stage and every bit of that had to be yeah ADR and overdubbed because of the we yeah. just it it, it could yeah. it could not work, but while doing that, what I was doing with my crew, what I was doing with my crew, was attempting to keep the crew and the actors safe yeah so i mean th th and this is how this is how we're uh, filming uh, filming cruising i mean this is in the city uh, this is in the city of new york we had tremendous resources that didn't apply that didn't apply looking over my shoulder at the soldiers uh, you know at when we're out in 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 the, in, in the jungle there with no resources at all trying to do uh, sorcerer trying to do sorcerer yeah. I mean I remember once on sorcerer Roy Scheider I I I I, I jogged every morning every, every morning no matter what the movie said on um, in in uh, in the still of the night Roy and I we jogged every every morning every chance we got and so in Santa Domingo uh, we were out jogging you know uh, <clears throat> and there you saw Randy Jurgensen out there jogging uh, with Roy Scheider, Roy Scheider, and Randy had a 38 uh, in my belt in the back, and we're jogging. I was letting Roy out there alone. Uh, so, and we're out there, and here come not one but two trucks loaded uh, uh, with the people, with the inhabitants of uh, Santa Domingo, and they all got ma uh, machetes. They got yeah. machetes, and. By now, they've recognized Roy. And they're holding up the machetes like this and they're shouting in unison and shouting in unison. And I learned it. What they were saluting the man that killed the shark. <laughs> Jaws. Jaws. So they really thought that he was that he really he, killed the shark. There you go. That's what they were doing. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're That's what they were doing. Wow. And in 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 the scene of where you see the all these guys on the trucks uh, in the sorcerer where it's the fist fight, yeah. it's them. Billy Billy freaking not because of of that, but Billy freaking uh, you uh, he they were real people. So they, they were not they actors. saw him in jaws and they yeah, were yeah, they, they said there he is, so, he killed yeah, the monster. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> but cruising cruising once again <clears throat> the same as the French connection. Billy Billy I need to go into those clubs. 
I arranged it. Uh, I need to do this. I arranged it. Uh, can, can we meet these people and stuff like that? I arranged it. That's mainly what I did. Yeah. What I did on cruising. Um, and you're in a part of it too. You. We uh, we did not do that. We did not do that with Al Pacino because by the time we started the film, it was just too dangerous. Yeah. It was just too dangerous to, you know, to put him in that location, even though we weren't filming. No, I, I, I could not, you know. So, but Billy, I went with Billy. Yeah. I went with Billy and uh, absolutely uh, uh, we did that picture. And he was... He was criticized. He was. They took him over the coals for that picture. But it holds up today. If you watch it, it's not disparaging in any way, and it's a good. <clears throat> and it's I a found. Good, uh, cult I classic. found myself. I found myself at those meetings and with those reporters, and I found myself saying to Billy, "Billy, you say that this movie, that it's based on me. It's based on Randy Jurgensen." He said, "Yeah, but I'm not." I said, "You're going to." I said, "Tell them that." I then got into Time magazine, and I still have the piece, and it says uh, that the, re the real cop, the, or the cop who really went cruising. Yeah. And, I, and I say in there, what Billy Freakin is putting on, on camera in there, I witnessed it firsthand, it did happen. Yeah, you, I did you, live in the all, yeah, and I said And I said those years. things. But that still didn't quell, if you will, yeah. What was coming to what was going on about yeah. that picture? And we've got into that in today. Other, to other interviews, you've you've gone into that with today. Me. This yeah. picture, today, this picture, uh, once again, rock star. You know where I was a rock star? Yeah. Germany. Wow. Why did it come to Germany? Yeah. Go, nope. go to Germany. They love no. you. Big fans <laughs> no, of cruising didn't. in Germany. No, I didn't. So we could fast forward then to th the thinner, Stephen King's thinner. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> One, one of the best uh, production uh, people that I ev ever worked with was Steve Keston. Uh, Steve Keston holds the distinction of being the second, one of the second assistant directors on The Godfather, and it's too long a story, but he was let go from that picture. He was, he was let go. Yeah. Uh, 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 Steve is a very upfront... Uh, you know, and he always backs it up with, he was one of the first ones to uh, invent the program that, how you make a budget. You know, before we used to make a budget, you sat down, you know, with the monies and this and that, and you made a budget. Yeah. Now the budgets are all made on the computer. And it was, it, he is the person who came came up with that. Of course, there are many others. So, and I had worked with uh, I'd worked with Steve, I'd worked with Steve uh, when he did for uh, not Playboy but Penthouse, he did Caliglia. Oh, geez. He did Caliglia, and they were. What, what did you have to do with it? How were you related? I, to I knew Steve. I I, I, ju I just I just knew him before. Steve uh, Steve Ke I got a history. Steve yeah. Keston Steve Keston. Uh, when I was a brand new cop, brand new cop in Spanish Harlem, at two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, I would go over to Mount Morris Park, you know, take off my uniform. The park was closed at two or three o'clock in the morning, and I would go swimming. Yeah. Steve Keston, Steve Keston was in charge of that park. In fact, he was the chief lifeguard. Wow. 
And so one night I'm swimming in there at two o'clock in the morning, and he and he 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 took my he took my uniform. I was gonna, you know, well, it was all a joke. Yeah. And so I, so I met I met him from then. Yeah. Then I met him on The Godfather, and then I met him on Caliglia. Now we had an office. Phil D'Antonio had an office on Sixty Third Street, and above that, above our office, the floor was penthouse. And once a week or whatever it is, well, we would all run to the front of the office to see the girls <laughs> coming in to go upstairs to penthouse. Yeah. And I met the I met I met his name. I'm getting so bad. The guy from penthouse. Um, oh, uh, Larry, not Larry, the hustler. No, um, no, whoever he was, Italian guy. Yeah. And. Um, Steve Keston was running his office. Steve Keston did Caliglia out of there. Yeah. So now when Steve Keston is going to do uh, Thinner, Randy, uh, I, I need for you. We're going to do it up in Maine. Come on, we're going to go look at some locations and stuff. And I went on the payroll from then. And of course, I guess I spent six months. I had a house uh, 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 doing uh, Thinner up uh, uh, up there a lot of almost all Stephen King's movies or or stories I'm sorry take place up in Maine where he's from and he's yeah I didn't know that yeah okay so in fact the director that I am now working with and his name is uh, Todd Kip Williams um, uh, and he is uh, doing Circle of Six right Uh, the script and stuff Circle of Six your book yeah Uh, his latest movie which will come out the end of January, the beginning of February, of 2016. It's 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 called Cell. It's oh. from Stephen King's. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. the director I'm working with just directed that movie. So any in any case, I I, I I go up to Maine, and and here's my job. Here's my job in Maine. I have to deal with with the police, with the mayor, uh, with the people, with the store owners. I, I look. I, I'm, I'm not making a big deal of it, but that that's what that's what he's got me there for. Yeah. That's what I do. I I I had I had very little to do with the budget except when it came to making those deals and stuff. I knew what I had to work with, and uh, so <clears throat> I'm 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 up there doing the movies, and I get a I get a call, and Steve says to, uh, says to me. You know, there's big movies, there's big gypsies in here, and he said, uh, "You know, I'd like to have the real, I'd like to have the real gypsies." He said, "And I understand that there are gypsies in the city of New York." And I said, "Yeah," I said, "Yeah, yes, uh, you know, uh, through somebody, I, I, I know there are gypsies." He says, "Randy, go and get them. You, you, you got to bring the gypsies uh, up here, up here to Maine." I get a hold of this guy, uh, Joe Cirillo, who's going to play a big role, an important role in this movie. And I say to him, uh, and of course, this is Joe Montana is going to be dealing with all these uh, the gypsies. Yeah. And of course... Uh, Joe Montana. Joe Montana. And who's the guy that's shriveling away to nothing? But Robert, uh, Robert John Burke was in a, in, in a movie, I believe... Uh, I, I believe the, the title had something to do also with uh, with, with with God. Uh, it had something to do with God. That's the picture that I closed down eight eight days uh, before. Remember, I told oh, you. Oh yeah, closed, yeah. That, that it all I, comes he, in. A, he was in it. He yeah, was in. He was got, in that never picture. Never got finished. Never got finished. Yeah. And so now he he's up in here, and, <clears> and he played now, RoboCop in the third RoboCop movie. And, and every now and then he says to me, 
we're going to finish this one? <laughs> I said, yeah, don't worry. So did I you did get to meet so much of this. Did you get to meet Stephen King at all? Yes, did I did. Down? Yeah. Yes, I did. Nice guy or? Uh, uh, very standoffish. Very yeah. off, you know. Uh, you know. But in any case, uh, so he wants to meet the gypsies. So I said, well, I can't do that right now. So I go down, I get Joe Cirillo, and we get the gypsies. And the gypsies are right down on Prince Street. They're right in the city of New York. They're real gypsies. And I go and I make a deal with them, and, uh, and we're going to bring the gypsies up. So in the meantime, I'm dealing in the state of Maine, which at 12 o'clock every day, everything stops, and it is, it is 12 noon in the state of Maine. And it's, oh, say, can you see? Every, yeah, they, they play the national anthem <laughs> every day. I also see that this is a, quite a depressed state. And their main business is Christmas trees. And this is the mid-90s. Oh, my God. But the towns, the towns, big, big tourists. That's where they make their money, you know? And the other thing that I learned is in making the deal is that for the same price that we can eat whatever they're going to feed us, we can have lobster. <laughs> and so, yeah, because I guess they just go down. So we, uh, three times a week, we're having lobster for lunch. That's you know, great. And it it's is. in the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I got a house up there. I would later bring, bring my family up there, uh, bring my wife and she would drive up and with all the kids. But in any case, so one of the big one of the big things is is that the town hears the gypsies are coming, and so they don't want them. You you can't have the gypsies in here. I said, oh my god. I said, well, wait a second. You know, I I, I got them coming up. I even who's gave, saying they can't the, the town the yeah. town. Yeah, they don't want them there. No, I don't want yeah. them there. They're thieves. This yeah. is what they're gonna do. That, that it, it's a whole, I'm, I'm telling you, it was a whole lot of, just prior to that, that just prior to that, the, uh, the town had said, when I was closing the stores down and doing this, and of course I was br breaking bread with them, I was giving them the monies, they, they said to me, uh, well, you, they're not making any money, they're not doing this, and so what I did, which I learned from Kenny Utt, God bless him, who put me in the DGA, who helped me at the Screen Actors Guild, um, <clears throat> I went to the bank and I said to the bank, I want to order, you know, I want to order $200 of $2 bills. It took about a week or so and I got the $2 bills, right? And I paid the crew. I paid them in cash. They were going to cash their checks anyway. And I paid them a lot. I spread out the, the $2 bills. And wherever I went in town, whatever, $2 bill. Within a week, I went back to the, the Commerce Committee or the Mayor's Committee, and I said, and you know, I said, yeah, you, you've made your point. Because you're, you know, you're, you're putting the $2 bills All the, the $2 came so they, back they in and spent in the stores they and stuff. They could see that the revenue. Yeah, you yeah. made your point. Yeah. And then, then, then they hit me with, but there's no money uh, going in the meters while you are filming. And I said, I'm certainly not going to go out and start to f film all the meters. How much do you make in the meters while, while I'm filming? I gave them the money. Listen to this. They came back and said, you know, 
not everybody puts their money in the meters, and so we give summonses out. <laughs> I said, how much are the summonses? And whatever the summonses were, I paid that too. That's what I was dealing with when they heard the gypsies were coming up. Big, big problem. And what happened when the gypsies got up there? Did they cause a ruckus? I didn't put them in town. Ah. And what I did was the next town down, I bought, I bought out the whole... I bought out the whole... Uh, like a lot. Motels. Yeah. Yeah. And they were two stories. So you bought and, a... And, and you know what I did? I put the whole crew down there. I put the crew... That's where I put the crew in Rockport, and I put the gypsies right there. So you put the you you, you yeah I did yeah. I did, so now it comes time, uh, it comes time to film, and what happened was it was so bad, it was so bad with Stephen King's producers right, it was so bad that I. Either they were going to go, or I, I, I would never do that to Steve, but I, 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 I didn't want them on the set. What was the contention? They just they wanted them. No, they wanted it. No, this is the way, that what it should be done, this, that, and everything else. And in the meantime, in the meantime, the, the gypsies, the, uh, the, 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 the king of the gypsies' son, right? And he's a prince. I got one of the female actors on the movie. She sleeps with him. She, holy Christ, what that didn't cost. I mean, it, it, she didn't do that. Skin of my teeth that we got out of that one. I don't even know, Dion, if I should even, you know, if I, because anybody could look up and see who that was. But this is making thinner. <laughs> A lot so, of problems. Absolutely. So we 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 got the we got the we got the gypsies done. We got the gypsies set done, and of course, and and we got rid of the gypsies, and we we couldn't use some of them, and we couldn't use the others and stuff like that. And then, of course, everybody comes out of the woodwork, and this is missing, that's missing. They took it. And not one of those cases would I handle. But in the midst of that, as the gypsies got there. Steve Keston was confined to the hospital and he had a minor whatever it was. And I, 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 I virtually finished the picture while Steve laid in the hospital. You know Victor Borger? Mm-hmm. Okay. Victor Borger has a daughter. Yeah, he's the, he's the musician, the, the comedian musician who's passed away the classical Steve, piano. Steve Keston's married to Victor Borger's daughter. 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 And who was Steve Keston on the movie? The executive producer. Ah, okay. Steve Keston is the guy that called me. Oh, yes, yes. And so I, I finished the movie. It was the, it was the only movie where I ba- basically fired people myself. Yeah, that was, uh, that, the, you know, that was really the, 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 the you know, the, uh, the headache the, of problems. So much so you can't even talk about it on, no, on, uh, on you can't even lay it to wax. No, because, <laughs> you know, and, and, and a lot of times, and a lot of times we as the movie company shot ourselves in the foot. Yeah, yeah. We shot ourselves in the foot, but we were not all on the uh, we were not all on the same team as the you know different producers and um, oh I'll tell you one thing uh, I I used to jog with the with with the director this is public knowledge and everything is all right I think his name is Holland something or other we were jogging and all of a sudden he had an attack 
right, Lynn? He had an attack of Bell's, uh, palsy. Bell's palsy while we were jogging. But he, he went on to finish the picture. Wow. He did go on to finish yeah. the, the picture. And of course, once again, you know, he turns, which he should never do, he turns and says, that's because we got the gypsies here. That's because whatever yeah, went wrong. Yeah. Jeez. So, Randy, thank you very much. Picture. Thank you very much for everything. I hope I haven't over-talked this. No, you haven't. It's been brilliant. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Randy Jurgensen, and we'd like to thank him for sitting down with us. And we urge you to go check out part one of our exclusive interview with Mr. Jurgensen if you've missed it, where, like us, you will discover that fact is sometimes stranger and more interesting and exciting than fiction. For more on Randy, please go read his highly recommended book, Circle of Six. To hear more about his police career in more detail, as well as other fascinating stories about his life in Hollywood that we were not able to cover here, please go to podwits.com and search Randy Jurgensen to listen to three interviews we did with him there on our sister site, which go into his police and Hollywood career, as well as his book. They are must-listens and cover completely different topics that we were not able to cover here, and probably will eventually be reposted here on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Please check us out on iTunes, on Twitter, where we're at Sat Sleepovers, we're also on Facebook, Player FM, Pod Bay, Stitcher. And please remember to check out our site, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, which could be found at satsleepovers.podwits.com, where you can stream or download each podcast, as well as see all the extras and exclusives that we put up with every podcast posting. A lot of stuff you can find only on our website, as well as links to stuff specifically related to each podcast posting. You can look at it as further reading in each film discussed. Thank you for listening, and see you soon. Do you remember a time when sleeping on the floor with your friends wouldn't have been considered weird? The management of this website invites you to a new dimension in podcasting. An experience so fun, it can only be compared to a childhood sleepover. It's not just about horror. Tom Atkins proves that any man is leading man material. <laughs> it's not just about action. If you're going to rank Van Damme movies... Yeah, it's up there. I'd put it top five for sure. It's not just about comedy. There's no other person in the world that loves Weekend at Bernie's more than you. It's not just about science fiction. I just scrimmed with, like, a beautiful comb over. It's about nostalgia. Can you survive the Saturday night movie sleepover? It's not a movie. It's a podcast about movies. You can follow Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers at saturdaysleepovers.podwits.com on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Player FM.